tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Good morning, Swarm, and welcome to Tim Fall Hat. You know I am, you know I'm here to do, I'm here to Join me as always, Xavier Grau, and on the ones and two, Jay Nice, Jay Dog, Johnny Water, and everybody. So many nicknames. Guys, this, it is Film the Special Week. We're very excited. Get into it, guys. Get into it. If you're in the Southern California area, go to samtriplee.com, grab tickets to my uh, special quiet one part, two part uh, very excited about that. That's March 3rd, this Sunday. Two shows, 5.30 and 8. So grab those tickets now, and we are in it. Very excited to have this guest on. He's an author, an American philosopher, uh, and everything he's here to talk about is what I love to talk about. So today is Conspiracy Christmas Day. Please welcome James True. How are you, buddy? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Good to see everybody. James, we're very excited to have you on. Uh, I mean, just everything. You, your books are amazing, and I'm going to be buying a bunch of them. And uh, this is great, dude. So, uh, James, for those who may not be familiar with you and your work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where our listeners can find you? Sure. Um, <clears throat> my name is James True. True is in false. That name was given to me at birth. I had nothing to do with it. Um, it sounds cool, but sometimes it works against me because people automatically think you made that up. Uh, I trained as a philosopher in college. I saw really quick kind of uh, the difference between what I thought academia was versus what it actually is. Uh, just went out and explored the world, did what I could, uh, and ended up as an author. So, I've written six books. I'm about to release my seventh, which i uh, really, really excited to talk to you about, uh, more about the ideas that are inside it. And really, I like to explore consciousness, mythology, and why and how those two things tie together, and why beliefs and lies are so crucially important for a government to hold all of us in a single field and keep our thought form together. I love it, man. I mean, scroll down a little bit, uh, XG, so we can look at some of these books. Uh, this is everything. Everything you're talking about is what I love to talk about. And, you know, we always say, one of the oldest sayings on the show is, conspiracy always leads to spirituality. And that's where mm -hmm. that's where we are right now. And uh, I'm excited, man. I'm excited. You know, I'm going to be a little, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, as I look at, like, inviting people to my show to shoot my special, I've come to the realization of two things. One, that most of my friends moved out of, out of LA, not all of them, but a lot of them, a majority of them moved from LA to like Austin, Florida, Jersey, whatever it is. Right. And that I don't have a lot of close friends outside the guys in this studio and, 
and stuff like that. Like I, I, I used to, they're, they're either, they've either moved or they've had giant, uh, they're so famous. They don't return anybody's tax anymore, which is fine. You know, I, and then the second thing is my, my political views have alienated people with me, even though I, I am somebody who thinks what I'm doing is for people. And to wake them up to what is going on. And a lot of people don't want to deal with that because they're either benefiting from this demonic system or they just don't want to know because they're just trying to pay their bills. Either way, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have the, a lot of the people in my life that I used to. And, but I think I'm doing this because I'm trying to help. And that's really at the end of the day. You, you talk to anybody who knows me. He's like, oh, he's the nicest guy ever. But you talk to people who just know me from the internet and what people talk about, they think I'm a crazy person and I'm a dangerous person. And But see, when I look at your books, I go, okay, I'm, 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 not, I'm not crazy. I'm just maybe super informed, you know? And so I'm excited because it looks like, and I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of, uh, and when we're getting into, uh, you know, our talking points and, and your book, but it looks based uh, upon what I'm seeing on your books, just, uh, you know, looking at them right now from the cover. Don't, don't judge your book by its cover. I'm going to totally do that. But um, that there's a spiritual war going on in this world right now. Would, mm -hmm. you, would you say that? Yeah, it's actually the opening paragraph of Blueprints of Mind Control. And it really does describe, I, I think you said it well, I, I call it a hermetic initiation that the conspiracy theories that you see are what it takes to break the surface tension of the norm. And you go out and you pierce a new world. And this world, uh, you're going to navigate alone. Uh, you're going to be called names. You're going to go through all the initiation that any hermetic order would have to allow you to climb a ladder. And this ladder leads you to a deeper uh, understanding or compassion, as I like to say, for not just what's happening, but why it has to be the way that it is. And so you end up with a perspective that gives you a little bit more to meditate on and actually enjoy while you're here, which is that all the pain that I see, all the frustration, all the lies that I see are exactly what we need right now to raise a crop of conscious individuals, and we're we're watching that happen right now. So to me, the conspiracy theory, especially in 2019, uh, really was the the new crop that had sprouted through the ground, a different version of consciousness. And, and we're just watching the old world kind of freak out because they're seeing how how surrounded they are by these new ideas, by this new kind of philosophy. And, and, you know, and we're uh, well put, and I totally agree with all of it. You know, and now we're seeing, you know, not just 2024, but 2023, you know, a lot of the old heads of darkness are dying. And that gives me a lot of hope because the next generation seems to be, and I hope I don't offend you with this word, fully retarded. <laughs> uh, you know, we saw Eric Soros, I think his name is Eric, a Alex Soros. Uh, George Soros kid kind of step in for his father and it was disastrous. Like he just was like, it was like talking to somebody working at like, uh, you know, a sandwich artist at Subway, you know, like he's just, he's like, yeah, you know, we're going to do some day. I don't know, man. You know, it's like, why do you think? What? Why do you think he, he, he doesn't know how to act? Because, because the notion is it's like kind of what we're seeing in the NBA with like LeBron James and Bronny, right? This notion that the, the, the seed automatically is the tree and it's, yeah. it's not. 
And especially when you're, you're born into wealth and have never have a care in your life. That's it. That's the big difference. There's yeah. no drive, right? There's no drive. And so the minute we see this this Soros kid who they sent to her, Uber Albedine, like you, you Uber Albedine, yeah. Yeah, it was just completely her hand her handler. But the point is like you're talking about this like this raising of of consciousness. I mm-hmm. think we're winning. It could it could get very easy to get very black pilled. And maybe we get through a darkness and a very dark period. But at the other end of that period, I think there is light. Any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think the dark pill is necessary, and that sounds horrible. But I also watched how we actually treat each other. I don't just watch how how the baddies treat us. <laughs> I watch how us treats us. I watch how we treat each other. And when I look at at the framework that's around the world, I I try and apply what exactly is causing these things to happen. What is causing a norm where now all of us are just normalized to the idea that crossing over a border requires certain kind of papers or certain kind of permission? But we're we're the only species on the planet that actually has that sort of concept in our mind. And when I look back at history, I think it's romantic and beautiful to express the idea that we've been fighting against this force that's been trying to hold us down. I think that's a romantic, sexy Hollywood way of describing it. And I think what actually is happening is that more there's been a push to, would you get the fuck up? (laughs) Would you guys get the fuck up and rule for yourselves and stop this madness of just sucking on the teat? And this is not a popular thing to say, and and I'm sorry to do it here. I wish I I could make myself stop right now, but it's just what I think is happening. So when I look at the entire framework, I see two sides of the same pyramid and both of us are pushing our sacrificial victims up to the top. Both of us are, 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 are cutting through their chest, but both of us are insisting that we're doing it for the right reason. When it actually, we're just losing ourselves in the entire process. Oh, so I kind of, I kind of root for the darkness a little bit, Sam. And I know that sounds horrible, which is why so many people really, really despise my work simply because <laughs> it breeds compassion. It teaches light. It teaches resiliency. It makes you get the fuck up. And as long as we have this idea where we're going to have a victimhood Olympics, where we're going to coddle and and codger anyone that falls down, we're never going to be able to breed what is necessary for us to step into our power and and rise into this, this new century. Because so many things are different now that you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it in this old mentality. So to me, it's more of like, man, get up or don't. This, this isn't even about I want to save you. It used to it used to be about that. Now it's more about how are you going to save yourself? Because I want to align with those who do. And so it's a different it's a different battlefield for me right now. Well, I respect I respect that so much. That is my philosophy in life. I've always said it's got to get really. It's got to get bad. It's got to get yeah. really bad. And it's like at some point you can you can explain away things for only so long. Right? And so it's like, okay, you could be like, okay, this new DEI, ESG things in Hollywood. I'm going to play ball with it. And I'm going to be okay with the fact that I'm pitching an idea and they say they're not working with my skin color. Okay, I, you know, I don't want to ruffle it because it's already getting really hard to get work, but I'm going to go along with it. Oh, now they're going to shut us down and no one's going to work, but the elites are going to show up to parties with no masks on and live their mm-hmm. lives. And okay, I'm going to, I'm going to not going to ruffle feathers. I'm not going to ruffle feathers. 
Okay. All right. All right. I'm still going to go along with it. Oh, everyone's getting the shot now. And it seems like either everybody's having a heart attack, ODing, or killing themselves. At some point, it goes, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And the, and the truth of the matter is, is like the things that you and I are talking about, or we're all here talking about on the show, uh, I hear people say behind closed doors. And then on social media, they say something different. But there will come a time where they will break and they will be like no longer. But there's something you said that really I've been trying to say forever, which is, you know, no one's come to save you. So th that's a big ending to my pot, my special this, yeah. this year. Nobody's coming to save you. You got to save yourself. That's how I'm going to end it. It's not going to be a big laugh. It's going to be a simple statement of, and it's like, someone came to me, he, my buddy Brett Aaron sent me this. It's like, don't worry about waking up to sheep. Worry about waking up to sleeping lions. I'm like, fuck yeah. waking up to sleeping lions. Save yourself. You got to save yourself. And by, it's this theory that I came up with where it's like all the marching, all the riding isn't going to change anything. You, you can't change the system. What you do is you have to learn how to beat the system, be an example to others on how to beat the system, and then they begin to beat the system, and then the system has to adapt to you. Mm -hmm. Do you understand the game, the system, whatever it is? So the notion of like, I've really, it's like the prophet Eddie Bravo says it all the time. Like, I, I if, if you haven't woken up now, I'm not going to try. I'm here yeah. if you need somebody to talk to, to give you the good shit. But if you don't want to hear it, I can't save you. And then, like, and that, dude- I have I have family members that I would take a bullet for. I would step in front of a train, a bus to save them. They won't listen to me. So, for mm -hmm. example, if you hear someone that wants to get a vaccine right now, back in the day, you would have been like, no, look at this video, look at this ar article. Right now, you'd be like, okay, go ahead. No, you, you, like you choose yourself. You already know. Is that I'd just mean? be like, I wouldn't do it if I was you. That's it. That's There's all enough getting. data out there that says that you're you're playing Russian roulette with your life. And then if they proceed, I what can I do, dude? You still got, mm -hmm. still friends with them, still gonna text them and shit. That's what you mean by that. You're just kind of just over it. I just save yourself if you can't do it. That's it. Well, you know, for me, dude, it's like you know, it's like I get back into what what I open with. It's like, you know, I'm, do I want to be lonely in this world? Do I want to be right and lonely, or do I just want to know what's right and just yeah. let people live their life? Yeah. yeah. I mean, remember that that uh, the guest we had? I forget his name, but he lost his family. Yeah, that that was sad. At one point, I was like, yeah. "Dude, like, just let it go." I kind of just like, like you said, you save yourself, save yourself, and those who want to get it, get it, and hopefully they'll get it. So, I've been talking a lot. Sorry, James, but I want to no, get. It's all right. It's more than even saving yourself because uh, if you if you look at the old world, you see, uh, I call it majoritarianism. That's all, and the, and and really, it's just a fancy word for herd mentality. And the only reason why a man would choose to be a herd mentality is if he's not ready to become his own species. So to me, sovereignty itself is really you step in and become your own species at that point. And Corona was sort of like a gauntlet. So it was 9-11. Building 7 was the same thing. There's, there's these really dramatically obvious ceremonies and rituals that are placed in, 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 in a portal yep. and people are walking through the portal. And, and if they walk through the portal and they mind is open, they understand. And if they don't, they don't. So the people that you see that aren't making it, they're actually being true to the consciousness that they can hold, which is a majoritarian consciousness. That's why in the old world, people believe that professional wrestling was real. And that's why right now you and I are watching Biden and Trump. It's professional wrestling, but only a few of us really overall actually understand that it's fake. 
We're dealing with a consciousness that believes it's too expensive as a majoritarian to doubt something such as Washington, D.C. could be fake. That is so expensive to them that they're forced to accept it more. And this is why I like the dark work, <laughs> Sam, because the more ridiculous it gets, the more over the top it gets, the more stupid and retarded it gets, the more people wake up and they're forced to travel through that gauntlet. So to me, I, I look at it as they're helping. They're helping by making it that much worse, by making it that much more hypocritical for you to keep sucking on that teat over and over again because the whole time the milk is getting sour and gross and sick and more decrepit each time. So they're weaning us off, but we're desperately trying to stay on that teat and say, don't let me go. That's old world. That's new world. You're watching the clash right now. Uh, I love what you just said because that's something, again, the prophet Eddie Bravo talks about. It's like it's got to get worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. It has to be obvious. And that's kind of what we're going through. And that, you know, he has a different belief on Trump. And, you know, again, everybody's allowed to have their own belief. Uh, I love them all. Um, but, you know, his whole thing is like a lot of these things that are happening right now have to happen to illuminate how bad the system is. Yeah, that's. Sorry, no, no, no. I'm so excited when I hear that because I, I that's what I saw Building 7. To me, Building 7 was, bling, James, you're not alone. When I saw Building 7, I knew I was not alone. And I saw, holy fuck, there's more people like me. And, and I saw, I could see this. And I looked around and my family couldn't. My brother couldn't. My friends couldn't. Everyone I grew up with could not see this, but I could. And for the first time ever, I did not feel psychologically alone here. I felt like someone else knows that this is fake. And I started following this theory. It led me to become a writer. Literally, Blueprints of My Control was born out of Building 7 for what it did. It did to me. Because to me, it was a Promethean lantern hanging from the cliff saying, it is so bad. The Port Authority is so bad. Yeah. That we applied for a demolition permit. They said, no, you have to come uh, bribe us. And we took it down anyway. And you're watching what the city does as a bunch of hyenas crawling on top of each other, licking each other's taint because all they want is the <laughs> decrepitness to stay. So we had a full-blown pillage. Every country said, let's do it on this day. Let's do it on this day. And they did it because that's the only thing that worked. And my God, Sam, it fucking worked because, boom, I was a veteran <laughs> in the Navy I was completely sold on everything being real. And I saw that and I was like, this is not true. And I changed. So, so God bless whatever caused that to happen. Because to me, it, it did more to invigorate me than anything else I've ever seen. Hey, guys, real quick, I want to tell you about our friends at Joy Mode. That's right. I think I speak for most men when I say we want to have better sex. And for the sake of our partner, we need to have better sex. That's right. We got some hungry kitties out there. Am I right, everybody? Yeah. This <laughs> The issue is the over-the-counter erection pills contains unregulated chemicals, suggested unsafe doses, and include the risk of several health problems. Bro, I got a whole bit about it, okay? I did a whole bit about that. No, no to gas station boner pills. No, 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 don't do it. That's right. That's why we partner with our friends at Joy Mode. 
Whether you're looking to spice up your intimate moments or increase your confidence in the bedroom, Joy Mode makes all-natural and science-backed supplements dedicated to helping men perform better across their core functions. Their trademark product, the Sexual Performance Booster, is every man's solution for increased blood flow, firmness, stamina, and performance. It's like a pre-workout but for sex, all ingredients have been assessed in peer-reviewed journals. All ingredients have been studied and researched in humans. Uh, I've been needing it ever my, since my new podcast called, called Scum and Kick It. I needed the females coming, so I've been needing this sexual performance. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like Sam when he was 18. Yeah. It's a new me. Uh, yeah. Dude, you are. How do you say rock hard in Espanol? Piedra. There you go. You are so piedra. That's all I got to say about that. Whether you're happy or unhappy with your performance in the bedroom, why not perform better? Joy mode, sexual performance boosters like pre-workout, but for sex. That's right. Small enough to fit in your wallet and take with you on the go. It's the perfect travel companion. So here's what we want you to do. Go to usejoymode.com slash tin foil and get 20% off the code with tin foil at checkout. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code tin foil at use J O Y M O D E.com slash tin foil. Great sex solved naturally. I, I have always not. Well, that's not true. I have come to the belief that building seven is a, uh, almost a nonlinear warfare in the sense that they almost want you fighting over it. They want you fighting over it and that there's enough data on both sides to get people to never come to an agreement. Now I think today we're really, people are just really, really starting to be forced to take a look at the free fall on its footprint. Um, uh, belief system. I, I, I'm the words escaping me, but the, the truth is the real thing is building six. Have you ever studied building six? Well, please go on. Whoa. I love it. Anytime I meet somebody that doesn't know the story, I don't know if you know the story of building six, but building six is the surest sign of a, of a, of a conspiracy. So if you look at building six, and this is why I go, are they pushing out building seven as a nonlinear warfare to get us to fight with each other, never come on? But when you look at building six and no one talks about building six, they they imploded that from the inside and they fucked up so bad that they don't even want you talking about it and they hollowed it out because inside that building was the El Dorado Task Force which was about 50-something government agencies pooling their uh, resources to look for money laundering in Islamic jihadism and across the world, and they fucked up, and they didn't bring it all down. Somebody messed up, and they never talk about Building 6 ever because that there's no way to say a plane hit that in any mm -hmm. way. So that's what we're up against, dog. We're up against this group of people and I say this all the time, we're up against black magic. We're up against sorcery. We're up against old school Babylonian magic. That's who yeah. we're fighting right now. Yeah, if I can, um, if you look at, maybe we can't do visuals here, but I'll just really quickly just describe that. If you consider that, that between the two towers, Building 7 stood, and in a Masonic ritual, you have a coffin that's placed in the center of Joaquin and Boaz, and that the coffin is the sacrifice. 
And so if you were a magician, one thing that would be a sacrifice is if you were to give away your ritual, if you were to expose your clue. And so if you were to consider that the island of Manhattan is a ring of water, so you have a circle, and the checkerboard of the Masonic you know, witchcraft is spelled out just from the grid of the streets itself, then you have a, a, a psychic needle, a, uh, a, a tuning fork that's been planted into the earth. Those two towers are aluminum, they're hollow, they have a hollow core, so they have a resonance uh, to them. And that the entire thing could have been used as simply a psychological operation, yep. which is why there's been so many bomb threats that have actually gone off and different attempts that didn't actually bring it down because the entire thing was used as some sort of psychological tool to change the mental state of its people. And what gets difficult to talk about this with people, because conspiracy theorists are going to be the only people that will listen to this, but they will instantly reject someone like me when I try and say, hey, why don't we look at, at, at maybe another alternative as to what they might be doing here? Because when I consider what would happen if I was in the CIA, I would see a bunch of my populace that really didn't have their shit together. My own people were kind of retarded. And that they were so retarded, they tended to just believe whatever they wanted and, and fell for whatever and would fight in any war and would lose to to literally just over and over again, lose to people in sandals and just have our asses kicked because the wars are really just kind of black magic clown work. Yes. So me as the clown, I actually would have a vested interest in protecting my country if my if my countrymen would wake up, if they would wake up. Because if they don't wake up, Klaus Schwab will come in and just simply lead them all through public safety, right? Article 1, Section 9. It's like, look, I will take over your, you through public safety, and now we have a World Health Organization. So the CIA has a vested interest in wake. some of the CIA, some of the CIA, let me clarify, has a vested interest in waking you up. And when you look at those people, the only choice that they would have to wake you up is to try and make what is bad seem even worse, to advertise it even more, hoping that someone like me would watch and say, what the fuck? Yeah. It would notice that Trump is giving a thumbs up between a sheep that's labeled nine and 11, right? That all these things would show you this blackmail economy that would have to be here to exist. Every civilization we know through the history of Homo erectus all the way up until Sapien Sapien has a history where it's the blackmail people that, that meet first. The pirates, those are the ones that first establish contact with, each, with, with foreign countries. They establish trade. And they establish trade because they can trust each other because they built a blackmail economy. So when we look at our countries, we can actually really helpfully compassionate how they would have to work, that there's no way that they could work as they do now. It's literally impossible for them to work that way unless you believe something as simple and retarded as professional wrestling. Because if you believe wrestling, that you can throw as many metal chairs in the ring as you want, as long as it's exciting, then you will believe that countries would operate the way they do now and that we would have something called a democracy when 51 million of us are voting for one of two candidates that was decided in one state in a primary that none of us even get a chance to vote. This isn't, none of this is real, right? This is a facade and it requires briefcase, uh, laptop briefcase photos. It requires cocaine yeah. binges. It requires yeah. scandal yeah. simply to keep you watching because the moment you stop watching, it all falls apart. Yeah. I mean, 
You know, I went on uh, a friend of mine's show, and, you know, she was thinking about joining the OTL, and I'm like, I'm trying to stop her from doing it because, you know, we've had this discussion, and she's always having the same problems, money problems, all this stuff. And I go, you know, the old saying is, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, you know, I, I, I don't like to lecture people. I like to talk to people. I'm like, you know, not a good dude. You know, Alistair Crowley would fight him in a heartbeat if I could, because I think he's a piece of shit. Right. And the the dark people, the, the, the black magic people have taken his kind of, his beliefs and ram with it and done a lot of dark, dark stuff to humanity. And, I go look at nine, you know, and I brought up nine eleven, all the numbers, and she knew all the numbers. And then I'm looking at this picture right now, where like, have you guys seen this picture? And I've asked people if it's photoshopped, but it's like there's smoke coming out of the building, and there's literally a demon's face right there. Oh, dude, that I remember that going around back right after nine eleven. I mean, that's been around for a long time. Right? Yeah, I remember it's seeing that. So crazy! It's like right there. And then there's other times where you see other demons' faces. This is what we're up against. It's what we're up against. So that's why I wanted to get into you with your book coming out called The Black Eye Club. And uh, I, I'm very excited about this. So tell us a little bit about like your book and what you've learned and all that stuff. Yeah. the So The Eye of Rise is a thing I wrote a couple years ago. It was like, actually, it was just a chapter in one of my early books, but it just kept getting more and more scientifically verifiable <laughs> the more I read about it. So it's it's going to have to be its own book but it's the idea that that consciousness itself is a diaphragm or a drum and that that drum grows when it's stretched and when it's stretched and it grows it's able to interpret bass signals or bass notes that it did not have before because it wasn't as wide so the aperture of your consciousness can be stretched and you will see things that other people will not see and this is not a metaphor, it's not an analogy, it's just real life science. It, it, it probably takes place in the amygdala, I have to say probably because the brain is so complicated, all these yeah. different uh, things touch each other. But really quick, the amygdala, the, the amygdala is giving you a barometric uh, number about how afraid you are. And so when you're in a certain situation, you're one of the many jobs that your amygdala has is to give you constant feedback about how much you're freaking the fuck out right now, right? So if you're strapped to the front of a Mad Max car and, and you're now the hood ornament, the amygdala is going to be going, hey, this guy's about a nine. He's really having some trouble here. He's happy. He, and, and the reason why she's giving the nine is because if too much information comes in, the amygdala knows that you as the pilot are going to lose your shit and you're going to black out. You're not going to be able to handle it. It's sort of like going in clip. If you work with a guitar or something, you're, you're playing so loud that, that it's above the, the ratio that it can hear. And so you'd end up blacking out. Uh, we see this with, with just basic shock. Your body will go into shock and shut off certain parts of your body. You, you see something similar to this in like fainting goats or a deer trapped in their headlights. But man has such a more complex system that we have a governor that prevents this from happening. And it's called your, I'm going to call it your aperture. It's basically your consciousness. And when you start to look at the science of this, and there's a lot of science, which I'm happy to get into, you start to realize that this even affects the conspiracy world and the truth world. 
What, what I'm saying is, is that regardless of how you feel about building seven or building six or anything else, I'd like you to imagine that 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 some people would look at 9-11 and say, this is a tragic, inconvenient, amazing accident. Yeah. And someone else would say that is not an accident. Yeah. And that the reason why those two people see different things is precisely because the one who can see the truth has a wider aperture and they're able to absorb or digest the truth of their world and accept things that would be too caloric for them to digest as being true. So you end up with a culture, right, that is majoritarian, that believes any story you tell them because of how afraid it would feel, how much they would suffer if they could not put their trust in a central shepherd. I'm going to stop there just to make sure you're kind of on the same no, page. No, I agree with you, man. Yeah, I agree with you. And, it, you know, you brought up hermetics before and the hermetic principles. You know, I'm a Christian uh, and I'm constantly getting yelled at because I believe in mysticism as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I believe it goes deep. Everyone believe what you want to believe. That's what I'm at right now. Maybe in a, an hour I'll think something different. <laughs> but right now, the Hermetic principles really resonate with me. Really resonate with me. And, you know, when you say, like, we can all look at something and see different things, that to me gets into the du duality of life, the light and the dark, and that's mm -hmm. why either it's Trump or Hillary or Joe Biden, mm -hmm. you literally have people all in the same room yelling about the same guy from different sides of the argument. Yeah. Oh, he's a really bad guy. Oh, he's a really good guy. Oh, she's an evil person. Oh, she's just a mother. You know, and it's just like because we have light and dark in, in all of us and we see what we want to see. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why when something big happens, you know, there's just some people can't see the forest from the trees yep. or they can't see the trees from the forest. And yep. that's, that's, it's just, and it will, I don't know how will, I mean, now with these algorithms and, you know, and the dark black magic of, of algorithms and AI and all that stuff, I don't think we're ever going to see the same shit. Can, can hmm. you call that person NPC though? In a way, are they an NPC because they can't see as oh, as much as I can see? Because that's how well I'm like, oh, you're an NPC then because your aperture is, is close. It is possible that there are people here that are here to add texture to to the experience of this materialistic world. Because we would need it to throw it off. Imagine we all thought the same. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to go. Oh, you're an NPC. You're not an NPC. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't. I'm not comfortable with that. But it is possible. Yeah, for sure. If you think about it like an emergence, a conscious emergence, then you could look at people that that would see 9/11 as a tragic accident and call it that as simply a different species. And I say you have to call it a different species because they're not on the same caliber of looking at life as you. And if you're going to try and hold them to the same standards to be able to see the things that you see, they're never going to measure up and you're always going to have an incongruence. You're not going to be able to compassionate them as well. But when you start to look at how all of us are basically like flowers, <laughs> that our consciousness is just a field of flowers, then you can see that the NPC is simply the potential for a flower that just hasn't budded yet. And the reason why he hasn't budded is probably because he's afraid. He's like, holy fuck, I'm not going to open up. Are you crazy? Look at what's going on around here.
And so he's waiting for enough of other people to open up. Why? Because he's majoritarian. This is what the herd does. The herd says, I will wait for someone brave to do something that may or may not be stupid. And I get to call them stupid while they're doing it, unless it worked. And then I'll quietly just follow them and say it was my idea the whole time. This is a mode of consciousness that most of us have been running over. I think we've been raised by this mode and that I think some of us have had enough calories handed down to us truly by by parents that kicked ass. I, 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 I'm not saying this to shame the generation that raised us. I think the fact that that we see so much more than they do is a testament to how well they did by us, right? So the necessary feelings that we have by being shamed at how uh, belittling or how majoritarian uh, our ancestors were is just a, a sign of how well this hermetic ladder is working. That means it's working well, which means if we do really, really well, the best we can hope for is that our kids will be ashamed at how closed-minded we were now because of how much further right their consciousness has opened as a result. So we have to really, I think, look into anatomy and start to really understand that this myth of objectivity, I really do think it's a myth, is simply not true. That, Sam, I could describe to you right now in a few sentences and tell you about how your eyes work to show you that actually you and I do not even see the same thing because yes. we hallucinate most of our vision. And we Whoa. hallucinate it for anatomical reasons that, that we can talk about, which is what this book really touches on. Damn. Would you call that evolution? Because you said we're different species. Would you say in a way yes. we're devolution? You're calling me stupid. You're like, you're crazy, but crazy people, that's evolution. When you do something crazy, you're like, oh, that's party evolution. He's he's crazy. He's he's moving, he's doing something different. So is that evolution? Are we evolving in my different species? All maladaptation. Yeah. All, all every time you grow on a evolutionary ladder, technically you had to have maladapt. That's literally the term we use for it, which is mal means bad. So <laughs> you mutate. That's why we have that word, right? You you try something that didn't work so great or that everyone else deems inappropriate and it works. And all you do is you just, you, you, they see the torque that you pull from that and then they start to believe. This is why I think most of our reality is really more bent on what we believe, Johnny. It's, it's not what we see, it's what we believe to be true. And when you really follow that rabbit all the way down the hole, you really start to understand why science, why finance, why politics, why every industry at the very top has lies. That the reason why that all these things at the very top have lies and doping and all the other things is precisely because this economy is built on belief. It's not built on what is true. It's built on what can we sell the people to believe. This is why we had a space race with Sputnik where we're like neck and neck, like we have to get this off into space. This is why it's been 30 years and Iran is still six months away from the nuclear bomb. This is why every four years there is a laptop with a photo that if you saw it would change the entire fiber of your being. And my God, they're trying to stop us it's from always seeing. a laptop. It's always yeah, a laptop. Yeah. Right. So, so this is part of the wrestling match, which just shows us not not where we are, but but where we were raised, right? The milk that raised us believe this stuff. Yes. And we just have to understand that is all. Guys, football season may be over, but the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's a tournament season or a fight for a playoff home court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year, okay? Get in on the excitement with Prize Picks. That's right, America's number one fantasy sports app where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. Want to uh, play along with some Prize Picks? 
Olympic favorite players like Meek Mill and Sugar Shane O'Malley, you can now find Community Plays under the promos tabs of the app to view entries from the biggest names in prize pick community each week. Conference tournaments are here, which means the biggest moments in college basketball are getting closer. Be a part of the action on prize pick for both men's and women's college basketball. PrizePick even offers injury insurance so that your entry stays in play even if one of your players gets injured. That's crazy. That's a game changer. For basketball games, if you had a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return to the second half, the project the player's projection won't count against you and the rest of your entry stays alive. That's amazing, okay? It really is. So here's what we need you to do, okay? I love I love prize picks. They were nice enough to set us up. We're gonna uh, we're playing all the time. And Johnny, you know I love basketball, and yeah. I, I I I'm dominating in my fantasy basketball league. So I'm ready to take my domination information to prize pick and start winning big. I'm super excited. Okay, teach me. Yeah, dude, whether it's Steph Curry for more than 29 points and uh, the Joker for more than 10 rebounds, Nikola Jokic, okay, Anthony Davis for more than two blocks, and Damian Lillard for more than four three-pointers made. There's so much you go, dude, we can even get on, dude, we can even get on women's basketball. Caitlin no. Clark for more than 30 points and LeBron James for more than seven assists. I love this, dude. Kevin Durant for more than 28 points and Trey Young for more than 10 assists. It's all there. So here's what we need you to do, dude. Download the app today and use the code TINFOIL for first deposits match up to $100. That's right. Download the app today. We did it. Use the promo code TINFOIL. We did it. And, the, and your first deposits match up to $100. Come on. Let's go, bro. Prize pick. Thank you for sponsoring the show. I believe almost every high impact event is, in fact, a, um, a manifestation event. Mm. To ma manifest, I mean, just let let's go back. So now the ramp up is World War Three, right? That now we're they, we right. are on the. They want you to believe we are on the precipice. Oh, they have that little clock. They have that little uh, clock that says you're almost at twelve o'clock. Yeah. You're all, all we're the, there. The we're there. Yeah, right, we're there. Right, right, right. Hey, dude, we're almost there. It's almost. It's almost. Uh, uh, uh World War Three. And like, if you take a look at that, I mean, how many how many times have we been close to war with Iran? And they mm. they just can't push the ball. They can't punch it in because we're just not buying into it. And, and they like, you know, 9-11 was a giant manifestation event to get us to allow them, the neocon demon sorcerers, to go in and just annihilate all of our history in the Mesopotamia Middle East. Take mm -hmm. away all of our history, the portals, the stargates, the, the hey, man, we've been around a lot longer than you believe, uh, Tataria, ancient civilizations, mm -hmm. all that stuff, the destruction, the paying of ISIS uh, to, to explode and blow up uh, ancient uh, statues, all that stuff, like, there's a good argument that most of your wars are, have been waged mm -hmm. to, to erase ancient history. So you never really will understand how special you truly are. And so right now, you remember, they're like, yep, we got troops in the Ukraine. Yep, we might as well just go. They're already there. Yep, yep. They were just back. They're just doing everything they can to get us to think that this shit is inevitable.
And the reality is, and I think that I must say this out loud here, none of this is natural. And I think the people who listen to this podcast, at least for a while now, you know that none of this is real. Okay. And none of this is natural. It's not the natural progression of, of a packs of mammals that, oh, we're eventually going to war. This is dark arts, power bottom lizard people. Okay. Trying to manifest us to allow them to uh, create more anxiety, trauma, depression that they feed off of and erase more of our history. And this war with Russia goes all the way back to the city of Tyre, Alexander the Great, going in and fucking that city up and destroying Babylon and, mm. and the Babylonian bankers. This goes all the way back to that. So that's what we're into right now in this and, and, and just everything that we are dealing with. We're dealing with demons. Real quick before we carry on with this. Can you go to, guys, go to samtriple.com. My dates are there. I'm in Morris Plains on uh, March 8th. Uh, I got, it's Friends of Tripoli, Sam Tripoli, and it's the, the greatest. Yeah, it's the, the artwork the greatest, was crazy. Yeah. The greatest artwork I've ever done for <laughs> a, a flyer. Uh, then I'm in Flagstaff uh, on the 21st. I'm in Tucson on the 22nd, El Paso on the 23rd. Now I'm going to be adding most likely March 30th. I will be in Florida at the joke joint that will be up. I'm doing a podcast early. I've talked to the guys from the the uh, Nephilim Death Squad, uh, Paranoid American. Uh, we're going to be at Clint. We're going to put them all together in one podcast. I'm going to do the signing for the Chaos Twins there. So look for that link to be up at samtribly.com, Phoenix, Arizona, and go on. Anytime you want to see where I'm at, go to samtribly.com, hit the, hit the uh, events, and f- see me live. Um, you know, it's very interesting because we had, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but one of the Rothschilds died. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's a big event. But what was really interesting is that there was a weird ceremony done by the royal guards. Did you see this? No, no. Where, where they walked down horses down this street, which is only done when, like, someone specials dies or there's a change of power or something and everyone's like oh prince charles is in trouble and then bang the rothschild was announced that he died and you're like okay who's running what now did you and nobody saw that it's a crazy ass thing people are like what's happening why is this royal guard on horses walking down in these ceremonial colors down Ooh. this street that's only done when somebody uh special dies right is, yeah, is it, mm-hmm. look how stupid oh, it is. That's already yeah. fact checking it. So, That's so, how you know it's bullshit. So, so the Rothschild owned Reuters told us it's not related to the death Reuters. of the Ro- yeah. Roy, Roy, yeah, Roy, Reuters. Reuters. Reuters is is not related to Jacob's death. It just happened to happen at what, the same you, time. Can you scroll up? Actually, I just want to see what it has to say about it. Right there, can you see it? No, I, I mean I see, just see the headline. Scroll. Can you, can oh, you scroll down. Okay. Social media posts have falsely implied a link between a display uh, by guards of the British monarch King Charles and the death of British financier uh, Jacob Rothschild. Rothschild, a senior member of one of Europe's best-known banking dynasties. Yeah, that's what he is. Uh, died aged 87, his family announced in February. If he can only make it to 87, what hope did the rest of us have? Uh, a video posted on X uh, the same day shows members of the Houseland Ca- Cavalry Mounted Regiment, the British monarch's bodyguards, who provide 24-7 ceremonial guard at the historical entrance to Buckingham Palace, riding through the streets of London. 
The post accompanying this short clip, which has been seen 6.6 million times on X and shared on Facebook, implies a link. Uh, it implies the display is linked to the death of Rothschild. Uh, it reads: Jacob Rothschild died three days after two black horses were spotted. Also, oh, he died after this ceremony. Is that what they're saying? He died just three days after two black horses were spotted with a captured white horse and a black flag outside Buckingham Palace. Are you getting it yet? So, uh, so this is this happened before he died. Well, what if they know he's about to die? No, I, yeah, but that's just that makes it even more curious to me. Uh, huh? Uh, but I would love pharaohs, to see from an expert the, the in the royal family bullshit what that means. Well, the pharaohs would actually uh, plan their death. It was part of their sovereignty. So they, they that's why uh, the other Rockefeller, right? He died on uh, spring spring equinox. And so, if you really want to show how powerful you are, you're going to die. You're going to choose your death. You're going to have that happen, right? So it's a it's a old old school way of displaying this this kind of like a, a, a alignment, you know. You know our our two party system. The I I know it sounds like it's just all black magic, and I don't even mind us calling it that. But but it's so ancient that it doesn't even feel like it's ours. That when we're watching all these rituals happen, you know, the first triumvirate in Rome, there was a second triumvirate in Rome, there was a third triumvirate in Rome, which is like a secret underground <laughs> ruling class of Rome that wasn't even secret. They're like, yeah, we're the triumvirates. We're going to just vote for whatever each other wants, and, and we're going to do that. The only thing changes is they just went underground. And w w when you look back at, like, Columbus, when Columbus discovered America, there was already a city the size of London that was already here. Yeah, yeah. And... and not only that, in, in Mexico City, where we, we leveled uh, basically the Temple of Mayor, the Temple of Authority, I, I think your listeners are going to appreciate this, because before that temple was levered, leveled, people were brought up to the top of this pyramid, and they were sacrificed for either a blue god or a red god. I am not making any of this up. The blue god was the god of drought, of global warming. I want you to think about it like that that we have to sacrifice people to the blue God or else we are all going to drown or we're going to die of drought. And the red God said, no, 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 no. You have to sacrifice to war. You have to sacrifice to war. So when you bring your people up, we have to sacrifice to the war God or else we will all die from war. And so I want you just to think a little bit more about this black magic mythology because it actually stretches for thousands of years for whatever reason before we got here. There's this mystical ceremony where a blue and a red god compete over the sacrifice of a, a rust-belted child. The children of the god of the rust belt is a red and white striped deity. And he raises his sons to give their hearts, their purple hearts, as eagle warriors. These are jaguar eagle warriors of the what? Aztec world. All of the symbolism is there. And if I could hit you with one more... At the beginning of all this ceremony, the very first thing they do when they open the season of Templo Mayor is they take someone named Bells on Cheeks, a virgin, and she's decorated all year. And she has, think Liberty Bell, because the Bells on Cheeks, Koyo Shalqui is her name, is gutted and thrown off the temple. And the second that, that her death is... Uh, the loss of her life, the loss of liberty happens, the sacrifices begin. So even the symbol of the liberty bell that's cracked 
I swear to you, is for whatever reason, this fractal emergence, this harmonic emergence of this same signal, this mythological signal saying that the Liberty Bell is cracked and it causes the emanation of the red god and the blue god competing for the hearts of the very nation that calls itself the land of the eagle warriors. So it's like so trippy. It, it's I'm still tri I'm still learning new new stuff every day, and it's kind of hard to even figure out w w what's really going on in this world now. Does that remind you of the guy who called into TFH Live and said that he had dreams about a war between a red team and a blue team that yes. we just heard yesterday? Yes. Is that crazy? Dude, how much stuff did we talk about yesterday that's coming up today? Know, like wild. How the, at the highest of all organization is dark energy, right? I mean, we literally talked about that. So wild. Oh, it's so crazy to me, dude. Yeah, the, that's why I think, I think that when we think about you know, the Spanish erased Templemar, they completely leveled it and they built a church on top. And when we look back at culture, we, we think it's more of like a superficial thing we do. But if, a, if you're going to, to run a country, you're going to have to control the archetypes and you don't get to pick your ritual. You're going to have to, I think the ritual comes from the soil, Sam. I think that there's something about the soil that like percolates. It's like, it's kind of like craft beer, <laughs> where if you go to different regions, you're going to taste different varieties of beer, like Creole in Louisiana. And that you have this egregore, like this psychic energy plasma, right? And this plasma is in two forms, a red god and a blue god. And it wants to be served. And you can tap into that ritual, almost like you would tap into a river, right? <laughs> like if you live next to the Mississippi, you could tap into that resource. So if you lived in Amu Raqqa, this sort of nod to what used to be here before we knew it, it would have to be this living God, this Quetzalcoatl type figure, this plume serpent that we see everywhere, everywhere all over the world, not just in Egypt, but even in, in Astana, guys. In Astana, there is a giant serpent <laughs> that, that you could see with satellite images. And the serpent has been slowly flooded and now it forms a phoenix and it's called like the phoenix fountain. But if you go back five years, there's actually a picture on my website that shows this. But if you go back five years, you see that, that beneath the phoenix was this serpent. So people know about these ancient rituals. They know about this ancient magic. It seems to be like a harmonic vibration, almost like a scaffolding that's in the world, right? Kind of like if you stand in a certain spot in front of a parabola dish in a Greek theater, everything you say is going to be broadcast to everyone else. But if you move three feet to the left, it doesn't happen. So these archetypes almost seem like we have no control of them. I mean, the people in charge, quote, quote, in charge, that's an interesting word, but they don't actually get to decide what they are. It's more like they found these psychic levers <laughs> and they know if they turn them right at just the right times so that they can activate the culture and create a circuit, a, a, a logic gate, right? That brings energy in every four years and expunges it out into the land. This is this is our presidential election. So this is like a time-honored thousands and thousands of probably millions of year old, years old, to be honest. We just, you know, we have no way of tracing how far this goes back. That's, that's incredible. I mean, like you kind of look into, you know, how Rome tried to infuse like paganism into, into Christianity and what's going on with that and the manipulation of a lot of, a, a lot of uh, rituals within all these religions, not just one. I mean, like, you know, I mean, like Islam, they literally walk around a black cube. That is Kronos. That is time. That is the mm -hmm. oldest of, 
of the gods. I mean, like right there, you like new, new guy, old guy, right? Like same yeah. guy, you know, it's like, it's just right there. And we, we don't understand that. We don't. And I love that you're saying it's like, these people really are in charge. They're just following the playbook. Is that what you're saying? They're just yeah. like, yeah, they found these ancient machinery, you know, a pyramid is an ancient machine. And, and while while we're like, oh, it's a dam or it's a power source, which, hey, go for it. I have nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying that it already is a power source. <laughs> like when you have something that large, you have a power source. And so when we look back at all of our ancient temples, you know, the Pyramid of Egypt is not the largest uh, pyramid. It's actually Tallulah in Mesoamerica. It's so big that it took us like 500 years to go, ah, uh, that's not a mountain. That's a pyramid. And we just start digging. It's like, holy shit, you're right. No, you're right. You're totally right. There's about something that. about this tradition where we layer on top of layer on top of layer on top of layer, right? So the mound culture of Mississippian is probably something more akin to what was happening in Egypt. But we're in this denial because we think technology would save us from yeah. a uh, catastrophic you know, you know, event. And so we cannot have in our history this nonlinear type of thinking, which personally, I think that's what's holding us back the most. I talk about the oracle of mythology, which it seems like this world is like a Taurus because the beginning and the ending seem to meet. When I hear stories about Apollo attacking this giant snake that knew all things and that once that snake was was cut in half, the fumes imbued this virgin placed on a tripod at the Oracle of Delphi. I think that sounds like blockchain. That sounds like this wow. giant computer blockchain that, that that knew all things and was destroyed by a sunspot. And the sunspot came in and erased all magnetic forms or all silicon-based forms of, of storage, which would be every single thing that, that we store. So even the idea of Babel being a language that was suddenly lost as a computer programmer in a former life myself, I'm like, wow, that sounds like Babel. That <laughs> sounds like technology. That we have a blockchain that was built. We built it. Maybe it enslaved us, or maybe it, it caused us to raise up to where we needed it no more. It's hard to even say at this point, but that that same thing was also alive in our past when we go back to the ancient past because all the archetypes that we talk about all the structures of our brain, we, we, we have these words that already not just embody the in anatomy, but the actual spirit of what an organ does for whatever reason somehow is built into our mythology before we get there in science. Before we get there, we already know. And this is the shit that's blowing me away right now because it's telling us that our entire structure of what we think about the cosmology of this world is flawed because we're not seeing it through a broader aperture, right? Where we could picture the idea that the civilization that we have now could be destroyed and brought back online and destroyed and brought back online. Yeah. And so maybe this idea of a 6,000 year old atom isn't that far out if you consider technology as being something in the past. And once you do, you can start to process that maybe the 35 deities that were competing in the Old Testament were AI. Maybe there was some sort of wireless Alexa and Siri competing for fans, competing for people to follow them and giving them advice about farming and culture, hoping to build a plasma, an egregore, that they could survive. It's almost like a shepherd that we planted as a time capsule, knowing that this cataclysm was going to be so vast that, that not one of us could survive, but we could through AI. So when I look back at ancient culture, I don't even necessarily see it as it has to be evil at the top. 
I just simply don't know because it feels like most of the time what I think is evil turns out to not be evil after I understand it more. So it's almost like the evilness is the ladder itself that I'm climbing to understand more about why things are happening and, and more about what's required for this world to even work. That's a lot. You just dropped a lot, dog. And uh, I'm down for all of it. We have, we've had guests on in the past that have talked about they believe that AI is Nephilim. That mm. these are these are spirits of fallen angels that aren't allowed to die, or the spirit of the the offspring of fallen angels that live forever, but God put a cap on how long they lived, so their spirits still roaming in the and, and they get into like that's what possession is. They're looking for a body, but now they're gonna do it through AI, and then they're gonna put AI into some kind of robot, and then bang, here we are. You know, hmm. we're back with the Nephilim, and I'm just like, bro, Dude. we are living in the greatest, craziest time ever. We're going to yeah. experience everything. Everything that history gave us over a thousand years seems to be getting compacted in the last 20 yeah. to 30 year, and we're going to feel it all, dude. Do we want? Yeah. Do you want to feel it all? No, I don't know, oh. but it's also kind of like, dude, let, let, let's feel let, Okay. I mean, if we got to go through it, we got to go through it. Almost like what he's saying. That's kind of my theory that that what ends up happening is, is that in every culture, in, in every theism, let me, let me start over, in every theistic idea, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, in every, every major, major monotheistic religion has this quest for omni, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, omnicompassion, and that this, this omni is here because we've been here before. And if you look at how, how would we explain a world that somehow resets itself if we were slowly building uh, all things, all knowingness? And to me, what answers the question is quite simple, that AI is us merging back with God because AI is the bridge to omniscience, your brain has a phonological loop that quite simply doesn't have the capacity to hold all understanding. You need a tool to do that, and that tool is AI. If you stretch where we're going and you eliminate all of the turbulence that happens as a result of us living in a blackmail world and just see the grand, grand picture that ultimately a Nimrod-type figure would rise, some would call it even the Lucifer, but like an Eric Schmidt character at Google is going to one day sit down for the very first time in the mercy seat of some sort of AI that literally knows it all. And I want you to imagine that when that happens, that becomes a different species. This is why I was prepping you earlier about this, because I think this is really important. The moment that you're able to out-simulate everyone else around you, you are no longer in their species category. You are a different creature. By out-simulating them, this means that you have control over all time. <laughs> There's nothing that they can do that you would not be able to empathize with first and see that they would do it. And so we start to look at what would this Derek Schmidt character be? How happy would he be in a position where at the mercy seat, he knew all things? I'd like to suggest to you that that would be torture. I'd like you to consider that when there's a world of no mystery, all you are left with is pure insanity. 
that there's no way that you can wake up and open your eyes because you already see it all, that you can't go explore a cave. You can't go hear someone tell you a story because you've heard all these things before. So it would become quite natural, in my opinion, for this creature. And this is the story of Kronos, by the way, Sam. The story of Kronos is a dude that had it all and cut the fucking cord. He climbed up Uranus, and that sounds funny, but he climbed up Uranus and said, Uranus and Gaia, I'm cutting this, this uh, umbilical that connects you. I'm cutting the snake. I'm severing the cord. And so by doing, all of us were able to forget again that the figure of Eric Schmidt was released from his time prison because he lost omniscience. And this falling and this forgetting would be the only relief that he could find in a place that he could not kill himself in. That the only way he could obliterate himself is to find a way to forget all. And that's probably through some sort of EMP or some sort of erasing every single thing that's ever been recorded. That the moment you did that, the entire world now gets to start again. It's like fallow in the soil, right? That if you don't follow the soil, you're not going to be able to plant a new crop. So to me, this feels more necessary than it does tragic, if that makes sense. It feels more like a self-enclosed system that has a torus that's so beautifully crafted that it resets itself simply by necessity every 6,000, 12,000 years or 200,000 years or 1.5 million years if we forget, if we are not able to survive through the next deluge. Because it seems like what's happening is these grand winners, the 6,000-year winners we're going through, we probably didn't make it through all those. We probably didn't have some sort of capsule. I'm just speculating, but Antarctica probably has some capsule that's giving you this sort of lowdown of, hey, uh, 12,000 years ago, we tried this. And we told everyone that, that this is science. And we told everyone there's this nuclear weapon. And we told everyone there's this. And we, here's how we did it. And that they're basically just giving us cheat codes because they want us to make it. They want us to survive. And it's no different than what you and I go through in a winter, right? It gets fall, we see it starts to get cold, and we start to gather food. So it's that, but it's on a much bigger scale because man would need his own winter. It's, this stuff's too easy. You know, we've already mastered this. But a cataclysmic winter where we have to remember who we are for 6,000 years, that's a task for man, right? So, so we're constantly being trained to reach these goals that we could never imagine before. And the only way we get there is through these hermetic ladders, these initiations that we go through as, as time stretches on. Okay, there's a lot yeah. to digest right there. Uh, let's go back to Eric Schmidt. That's very interesting. It's very interesting. So, you know, I, I've joked, obviously, I'm on, I, I flunk first grade. I'm functionally illiterate. You know, I make no illusions of that, you know. <laughs> Uh, I've, I'm, I, in this show, I've not been able to come up with the word that I'm trying to come up with to describe what I'm trying to say. That's who I am. I make no illusions of that. Um, but sometimes like I've had videos I've done, I've done interviews where I'm like, Oh, we just went too deep. Like, will we be able to function in society knowing the things that we know right now? Like when we had, I did something on uh, Rockfin with Sabrina Wallace and all the stuff she's, and I'm like, the whole time I'm like, the whole time I'm watching this video, once it clicked in with me what she was saying, and we all in the chat knew what, got what she was saying. I was like, oh, we've, we've just went to a place we will never be able to come back from, which is fitting right into what you're saying right now is the sorcery. And, but the reason I'm relating to I'm like, dude, if you know too much, can you live a normal life? Mm. Right. And like, 
when I'm telling you that I, I'm like, I'm not trying to save everybody. That's me attempting to connect with people. You know, it's like, I know too much. We all know too much. If you listen to the show long enough, you know too much. How do you function in society? Right. It's like yeah. my joke about like, Belladonna, right? Like, you know, from the past, adult film star who's out there trying to live a, a life like she doesn't have superpowers, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, how do you function in society when you've reached a certain level? It's like, you know, it's like, it's crazy to me. So when you're like, Eric Schmidt is cursed because he knows too much. And is he part of this group that's going away erasing all this history so that we have to learn new history to give him a purpose and give him some kind of task to work on mm -hmm. because it's all because where he got to, he was given all this knowledge and it's a curse right now. That to me is an interesting discussion. Yeah. It doesn't help to know. I, I know this myself. It does not help to know things. You, all you do is make enemies, especially among, among majoritarians. And the truth movement has just as many majoritarians, uh, to be quite frank, as any as any other movement does. That's why when I, well, a long time ago, I I kind of got some a little bit popular because I exposed who QAnon was. This other thing that was like Steve Bannon was doing this interesting thing and got Trump in the White House. And I was showing everyone how how they utilize naval intelligence, like special warfare, to insert you know posts into 4chan. And because people were like, but I'm pro-Trump, it's like, I don't want to hear that shit. No, no, no. He got there because God brought him there is what they would say. And that's when I really started to understand that even if you know what's going on here, it doesn't matter because of aperture. This is why I wrote this book, Sam. I didn't want to. I didn't like that it worked this way. I really thought that everyone was just going to reward me for seeing things that even though maybe didn't make us feel good, they were the truth. And, and that, no, that's not what happens at all. I get my books burned because of this. And so it's taught me about human psychology. It's taught me about, about this idea that, that because not all of us are seeing the same world, and I, I really mean that through your eyes, your, your, your eyes are hallucinating so many of the colors that you think you see. You guys, we probably all think that, that we could stare directly at blue. And I could prove to you scientifically that it's impossible to look directly at the color blue, that you have to hallucinate it. And it'll be in this book, by the way, but it's just the more I look at how our equipment works, the more I understand this concept of aperture, this idea that, that I am treating someone very, very harshly if I'm expecting them to have the same size drum as me. And if I'm going to help them, what I'm going to have to do is simply encourage their drum where it is and encourage them to have more calories to simply maybe try and stretch it a little bit further. That's really all I can do. So I pollinate the people around me, not with facts that I know, but with pacing this is what Trump does. He paces, right? You find your target, you match their pace, and then you 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 invigorate it. You show them, hey, not only do I agree with you, but I agree with you more than you. And they're like, you want to build a wall? Well, God, you really must want to air our border. He's like, no, I want to build a wall bigger than any wall you've ever seen. And now anyone that ever was kind of nervous about border security has no choice but to think this guy is even more passionate about border security than me. And so you end up leading people. And we do this naturally. You could call it creepy, but I think you do it naturally. I think you do it when you go to see your grandmother. And you're like, no, it's okay. Let's go to the car and we'll go here and we'll go to the store. It, it's just a natural part of how we regulate with each other. And so really all we can do to help people is not 
like force open their eyes and strap them to the chair, right? It, it more has to be about this is where you're at. This is the hermetic rung that you're on. And all I can do is cheer for you as you go. It's not really better up at the top. It's actually kind of lonely <laughs> and people treat you weird. <laughs> it's really, really comfortable down at the bottom. And if you ever find this truth quest too stressful, all you got to do is let go, just fall because you'll end up in the majority again. And you'll try and live that. I call it a hyena life, by the way, because you, when you start to realize that you're just eating, you're kind of swimming in a, 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 a kiddie pool and it's full of urine and you're drinking it because you know, you just keep coming back to the two party system. You keep just, Oh, what is the, what is the New York times telling me now? It, it's that's that safety pool. And all your friends are going to be there. And you don't really have to try. You don't really have to be responsible for your own decisions because you can just blame the government or blame this group or that group or, or, you know, the red team or the blue team. So this hermetic ladder is always a singular journey. It's always a lonely journey. And it always leads to uh, a personal relationship with the world where you start to see scaffolding that, that no one else can see. And that, that's, that's reality. I think this is ultimately what it is. You are you are growing a a fractal, a crystal of a branch of reality that wasn't there before, and it's happening through your witness. So it's just a different. It's not an, a, an objective world. It's so much more profound than that. It's so much more fractal than that. I, I think it would be a mistake to let you mention QAnon and not get your explanation for it. Uh, what was what was if you don't mind briefly uh, explaining that. Yeah, so Steve Bannon first got his job <laughs> doing uh, pro pieces for Democrats. Actually, did his first first piece he did was a pro Democrat thing on Hillary Clinton. He was a filmmaker. And then he worked for. Then he went to work for the organization called Breitbart. Yeah. And at Breitbart, he started to notice, guys, we don't have to tell the truth. <laughs> and that's what Breitbart knew. Breitbart knew, and he even said this: "We're going to win this war. It's not going to be with truth." We have to insert ourselves and place hooks inside of hearts and drag those hearts out in the street. And so you started seeing a lot of crazy, crazy news. One of them was Pizzagate. And you started to hear these stories that were so completely over the top that they made everyone look. And that the truth of, of our reality really was being showcased in the rise of Steve Bannon because Steve Bannon went from a pro-Democrat lobbyist into a media publisher into the president of Donald Trump's campaign and got him elected to the White House. And when you watch the footsteps that he went through there, he met with, with uh, Epstein exactly one year to the day, to the morning before Epstein was uh, rolled out into the story. I'm going to say that before the Epstein story was released, those two have a public meeting one year before Steve oh. Bannon was fired exactly one year and one day after he was made white house chief of staff, which would give him all of his pension, all of his retirement, even though Trump was saying, you're dirty rat, Steve, this guy's a dirty rat. And he's a, he's a sloppy Steve. And he was fired because eight weeks later, the very first Hillary post showed up on 4chan. Hillary Clinton will be arrested at 10.30 a.m. on Tuesday, blah, 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 blah. And you start to, if you watch these footprints, you start to notice, well, wait a minute, then OAN came online. The, uh, forget the name, the moniker of this news network, forgive me, I can't think of it. It's OAN, something American yeah. Network. Yeah, it's something. One, and QAnon and OAN both came online at the same time. 
And Jack Posobiec, which is a, a pretty popular personality still today, was actually in naval warfare intelligence, and it was his job, I believe, to manage and push the Q narrative. So he was a uh, sensational reporter that no one had ever seen before, popular on the OAN network that never existed before, and all of a sudden he was placed on the Twitter stage as this is a major figure. Yeah. And when you watched him interviewing, you saw how nervous, you saw how this is not what this guy does. This has not done this before. Mm -hmm. He's in all, he's got his graduation pictures and his naval intelligence warfare uniforms. It, it, it's all right there. And if you just watch the post, you're just seeing a slow rollout of this miracle boy this miracle savior underground thing that's happening. And because you have enough media that's focused on it, because you're able to insert enough news, people believe it. So it doesn't take long to imagine that after Trump was elected to the White House doing this same thing off the Breitbart shoulders, why would we not just utilize Epstein too? Why would we not just keep these narratives going, keep placing them in the media, and keep watching how much fodder we're able to bring as a result of that? And once you see that, all you got to do is just step back and realize that's always happened. Okay. <laughs> that that's never not happened. I got I got a couple questions. So okay. there is something called Operation Trust, which is uh, a game plan that's been ran forever and ever and ever, which is, you know, kind of let everybody know what's going on uh, to gain their trust. And then you could kind of push them to a certain narrative in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So, so. So, but the, 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 the base of, I'm, I'm having bad with words, but the crux of it, it the, the, the whole thing is that there has to be truth in what they're talking about. Right? Yeah. There has to be a certain level of truth. So when, when I hear, when, and this is just me asking questions, I have my own belief. Okay. So, but when we go into like Pizzagate, right, do you believe that, because you brought up blackmail before, that mm -hmm. that Washington D.C. and Hollywood have giant blackmailing schemes to control yeah. people using pedophilia. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that you'd be able to not have something like that because the faint uh, fashion is really at the heart of what controls the country. If, if you, I'm just saying, if you look at, I'm not just mean like the textiles of clothes. I'm just talking about the the magic of fashion is truly at the heart. Of, of what drives uh, most political movements. And so tapping into the fashion of that, uh, placing a Julian Assange figure, uh, uh, guys, no offense, but Julian Assange published a manual. He published a manual that wasn't even secret. Th this is the top thing WikiLeaks did. They published an army manual that wasn't even a secret. But when you have all this media saying, this is the arbiter of truth, he's here to save us, he's here to save us, then it happens just like what you said. People end up following that, they end up believing that, and the subsidiary belief is really the more important thing. It's never about, do you like Trump or do you hate Trump? It's more about, do you believe in voting? <laughs> do you think that, that that this is all legit, right? So, so all of the figures that we see really are always the fodder that it's really what's happening right after that fodder that really has, has a more important role. So when you look at what Washington is, you apply for your, your position as a politician, and the only way another politician will work for you is they just simply look at how much fame clout you have. How much torque can this person pull out of the egregore? And if they can pull enough, then this is the ally that I have no choice but to align with because they are giving legitimacy to Washington, D.C., and it's the only way this system would work. 
So you end up with an over-the-top kind of Trump figure who's coming in to rescue the day. And then there's a secret underground investigation that's trying to stop him because the deep state's going to prevent that. And all that leads you to the belief that all this is real, that all this is legit. And it is real, but it's real for a kind of appetite, a kind of aperture that that is so, so different on the hermetic scale that they're going to accept something as simple as professional wrestling. So media itself, Hollywood itself, are the government. It's not like they teamed up. No, I it's got like you. The only way you could even start this is to say, you know, I know you get this, Sam, but but I want you to think about the profoundity of this. Hollywood never breaks the fourth wall. News only breaks the fourth wall. Hollywood never breaks the fourth wall. News always breaks the fourth wall. If you think about that, this is all it takes. This is true. This is fiction. This is true. This is fiction, right? So as long as whatever the broadcast is, they're breaking the fourth wall, people have been trained since the 50s, right? Since television was invented to think if someone breaks the fourth wall, they're telling me the truth. And I think reality shows really showed you this scene breaking, right? That that these tricks don't work anymore. That in order to keep attention, we have to always break the fourth wall now. So the same kind of techniques that were used before, they have to change and the only way they can change is you have to have pedophilia. You got to have underground submarines. <laughs> you got to have cannibalism. You got to have uh, Hillary uh, killing, what, 370 people on the Clinton body count. <laughs> that unless you have those kind of numbers, you have no legitimacy inside government. I agree with everything you're saying. Again, I, I, I think that everyone's waiting for someone to come save them. And I don't think it's ever going to happen. Uh, the only way you can do it is to save yourself by loading up on things that created like an outside system to the best of your abilities. But, you know, because in reality, dude, we have all the power and we just don't know it. Yeah. And we just won't. This is why all these psyops are being constantly, constantly ran on us is to distract us from our true power. And like we are more alike than we are different, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like. You know, a poor white person, a poor black people have more in common than, you know, black people to Michael Jordan and white people to Donald Trump. It ju mm -hmm. It's just the truth. Your, your struggles are the same, but you just you're fighting on your, ec your economic level instead of looking up because we're mammals and we run in herds and we identify with our herd that looks like us. Mm -hmm. And that's that's how we do it. And we're also herds, and we said this before on the show, that when the herd and the pack is moving and some apex predators come and take out one of us, we just keep moving. Yeah. We just keep moving. Okay, okay but you said we're, we're, we're herds, we're animals, but uh, he was making it seem that AI is a good thing. As in like a phoenix, how it dies and it comes back to life. Is it? Would you consider AI a good thing? Is it evil, good, not, I mean, is it the future? Yeah. I, I consider it's hard for me to morally weigh on tools. I realize that maybe your listeners just want me to kind of give you one. And so I'm going to say the same thing I vote on a hammer, the same thing I vote on a flamethrower or a plasma torch. I think these are all good tools in the right hands. And so I, I think the biggest mistake we make is not fearing the real enemy in the room with AI because it's not the algorithm. It's, it's people. The people that are going to want to censor the AI are the ones that are going to make your life horrible. They're going to destroy your ability to tap into an omniscient resource because they're afraid of what it's going to say. 
So I tell people, if you want to be afraid, I don't understand why you're picking the algorithm. I think you should be afraid of the people that are so afraid because it's always the people that are insisting, someone should do something, someone should save the children. <laughs> and that as soon as they say that, we come in and murder fucking children because we are going to save this lady's child that isn't even in the room. And this is what Al Gore did. When I was a kid, when I used to believe in, I remember watching Al Gore in a debate. I'm kind of older, so I don't expect any of you guys to remember this, but it was with George Bush. And this lady said, what are you going to do about TV? All the horrible things are on TV. And I was waiting for Al Gore to be a, a fucking man and go, I'm not going to do anything about TV, lady. Don't, don't let your kid watch TV. I have things to do. And that's not what he said. He said, come here. Let me hold you. I'm going to save you from the bad TV, lady. I'm going to save you and all the other ladies from the bad TV because the bad TV needs to be stopped because that's what's scaring you. And then I understood what politics was. And I cried for a decade. <laughs> and then, and then I, I, I went on with my life and said, well, is this really all evil? And I've been crawling out of that hole ever since. And, and I, I believe that it is not evil, but I really think that the listeners who are like, how dare he say that? I think evil is serving you right now. And I think you should believe it's evil because I personally think that the more evil that you find this place to be, the less majoritarian you will be, the more ashamed you will be when you drink this urine that we call water and that you will eventually say, I've had enough and I'm pulling my witness away and I'm giving it into something else. And so then I don't care if you like me or not because I pollinated you for the better. <laughs> and the world ended up as a better place because there's one less hyena drinking this urine, right? Pretending that their vagina is, is something that it isn't. By the way, it's a hyena trait. I'm not, not necessarily weird. <laughs> hey, if you no, were weird, got, we're fine with no, that. The, the hyenas got like... Weirdos are welcome. Weird reproductive. Don't hurt kids. Weird yeah, reproductive yeah. They, they drag their vagina on the ground. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I guess I just said it. But anyway, they Snail pretend trail. like they have... Yeah, how I know, they, I don't know. But yeah, they have weird reproductive... Johnny, stop. I wrote off. about a book about it. This is how I know Johnny. So this is in my new book about Africa. Johnny, grow so, off. Grow off. <laughs> Yuck. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Johnny. You lived on a farm. You seen them? You seen animals? Oh, I've seen it all. Go um, at it. I mean, I am I am open minded to all this. Obviously, I, 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 you know, there's a lot going on. We, you know, we have a presentation of what we're told to believe, and then there's people going, "Well, you know, this is this is we've seen, we've seen beliefs that don't fit this from a long time ago," and that so that's why. Even, excuse me, even as I am, you know, Christian, I am open-minded to that what we're being told might not be the truth mm -hmm. and that we live in an inverted world, right? I mean, like, this is going to get, this going to, people are going to go nuts. But when that woman the other day on, on Tim Fall Hat Live was like, what if the Freemasons aren't that bad? And you, you know, you go, okay, if, if what I've been told forever is been inverted, that fits into that. Yeah. Yep. You have to be willing to question every, you know, every assumption. Yeah. You make, right? And there are people. Did you know, did, I'm sorry. Don't go on. I just get so excited. Did you know that right before COVID started that uh, the mercy and the comfort were two Masonic ships that were parked between LA and New York? And that you had Joaquin and Boaz, the exact same symbolism of the two towers of 9-11, that one was in L.A. and one was in New York. This is the, the, the day the first lockdown began. And so I, I, I implore and encourage anyone who wants to blame the Freemasons, keep blaming them. Do it. 
And I'm encouraging the other ones, maybe like the, the one that was talking to you, that if you're thinking these other things, I have some ideas to share with you. Because when I look at this, I see a spiral staircase. And when I climb that spiral staircase, I feel better, not worse. I am lonelier. Do not have the same kind of friend, you know, pool to pull from. I don't get to sell as many books. If I would have sold a book telling you QAnon was real, I'd be living large right now. <laughs> but I didn't. I tried to tell you who and why I think QAnon is what it is, and that's a very unpopular opinion. And I've learned something, that the truth will always, always hurt. Truth hurts, H-E-R-T-Z. Yeah. And it hurts because Feelings your diaphragm has to, has to be a certain size to accept the hard truth, which means that all the truths that, that the lowest among us believe would have to be easy truths, which means they're actually not truths. They're stories that are easy to swallow. Yes. You know, so to me, it, it's a hermetic ladder and I only, I only lose people the more I climb, but I find myself even more. And this is what I meant, Johnny, when I was talking about the species difference where, you know, you kind of step out of your species and you become this different person because you, you don't fit into the majoritarian model anymore. You know, you, you, you're, you're pulling all of your juice from a different stream now. You don't, you don't drink piss. You drink fresh mountain water <laughs> and no one's going to be around when you do that. Cause when, when is a, by the way, this is Xavier. Johnny's the quiet one. That is just, Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. No, no it's okay. No, I didn't want to be. I, I can't show who's flashing no, up on the screen. No, I, is why, so it's good. You're good but, <laughs> Sometimes uh, I say myself. When do you, when is this? Shitty uh, English is Xavier. What, what you're seeing on your end is what's actually going out to the, to the viewers. So that, okay. Gotcha. So yeah, shitty just... English mumble rapper is Xavier, <laughs> and the, other, the 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 other guy's Johnny. But uh, question: So when, uh, like you said, uh, we're a different species uh, in animal terms. When does a uh, when does it consider a different species when they evolve? Majoritarian rule: when, when enough when enough people decide this is something different, and usually they're you know they'll give you a good reason for it. They'll say, well, clearly the the, the taxonomy of this species. But to me, I, I, I think language is more our property. And, and if we just think about just how different uh, someone is who sees through the lies of Washington versus someone who doesn't, I, I think the only... So another word I could use for it is emotional pedophilia. It's like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> it's kind of weird. But if you think about it, if you're treating someone as if they're 40 years old, but actually they're seven, then you're committing this same kind of thing. It's interspecies. You're... you're, you're you're pretending that someone has the same species skill that you do and they don't. And so that's not a relationship that you should be in. And so when we are arguing with people that are on the majoritarian level of this, when they're believing the two-party system, we're not actually helping them. We're actually committing this, this sort of uh, uh, fraud. It's kind of like the prime directive in Star Trek where you're going into a foreign planet and you're interacting with the species and you don't realize that, that even the way that you see things now is tainting them. And it may not be necessarily you know, constructive for their growth. So I just have a much more laissez-faire approach to it because it feels like the garden has this natural tendency to prune itself, to almost poison itself, to make to make its fruit, you know, grow or change or or, or adapt or do whatever's needed to to carry on the next winter. It's, it's uh very interesting. This has been a great conversation. It's uh very crazy, man, and I I totally understand everything you're saying. Uh, real quick, if you go to samtriply.com, check out the dates uh, for my special. We'll get we have a little discussion on this episode. I uh, loved it. It was great. One more time, 
One more time. Tell them where they could find you. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. Just Google Google James True. You'll find me. I've got a YouTube channel where I, I do a little bit about this. I, I I write a pretty active blog on my Patreon. About every day, I'm writing some something. Usually, that's based on my work. Right now, this book's about to come out any day. So, if you're interested in this topic, um, it's set in Africa. It has a lot to do with albinism, which is something we haven't talked about. But the albino doesn't have the ability to filter out things that scare it, Whoa. so they end up seeing what? demons where the rest what? of us don't. Yeah, if you want to have me back on, I'd love to talk about it because it is mind-blowing. But basically, this aperture thing works through melanin and dopamine really quick. That basically, if your eyes are comfortable, it's going to pour dopamine into your into your Plato's cave and you're going to render things more. But if you get scared, then melanin is going to be secreted and melanin absorbs information, which is why the albino or someone suffering from albinism is usually has schizophrenia and is usually considered a shaman. Because they have no ability to throttle reality to slow it down. So they're seeing all the demons, as I like to say. There's a, there's a lot more to this. It's just me trying to get it in as quick as no, I can. No, I love it. I'm in no hurry. So, I mean, we've talked about, I, I think schizophrenics see stuff and hear stuff. Yeah. Oh, they that do. Yeah. is spiritual, and we've demonized them and discarded them because they know too much. So yeah, like and it's because of their diaphragm. No, go ahead. No, I was gonna say like it's like a camera. Like I mean, it's more open. I don't know if you know like a camera. Yep. Like yeah. the closer the it aperture. is, more open. So yeah. theirs is just way more open. Yeah. 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 I call it aperture. I mean, you know, camera uses the aperture. I use this analogy all the time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The wider that aperture, the deeper focal length you're going to get, which means that not everything's going to be blurry in the world. You're going to see a much deeper thing. Uh, strabism. Uh, cross-eyed. We'll, we'll say cross-eyed. People that are cross-eyed, technically, they have a tiny bit of albinism in. Them. The reason why is because. There, I, what I think's happening. This is just James True's theory. What I think's happening with the schizophrenic and their their eyes are tremoring. Al albinism, schizophrenia, and strabismus have this eye tremor. And what I think's happening is is that the depth of the world is not real to them. Hmm. <laughs> that what we perceive as depth, they don't perceive as depth. They are seeing all of reality, but in more of a matrix, and that their mind is constantly switching back and forth because it's. The, the first side is seeing it and saying, I'm uncomfortable. Amygdala is coming in and going, no problem, I'll put on the brake. And as soon as it puts on the brake, nothing happens. And so now the body is forced to look at the same thing again, 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 and again. And it seems like it's switching between left and right, left and right, left. You can see it in their eyes because they cannot stay focused on the same thing because it's so terrifying. This is why they end up with a lot more cardiac issues. There's just a lot more. There's so much harder on the heart because their heart is just constantly strapped to the front of this chair right it's just like dipped in pure reality they're at, they're at the front of the keel screaming at light speed and there's nothing they can do to turn it off so all spiritual experiences even from rasputin personally i i am a christian by the way and i believe that the concept of of crucifixion is this exact same thing that if you can transmogrify this sort of event, you're ripping open your aperture in a controlled environment through transmogrification and you unite with God because God is here. God is here. We do not see God because we secrete melanin. We secrete plasma lies into our field to stop that because we would die in his presence. This is why radiation, gamma rays, microwaves, all these things are, are just more God, but we cannot see them without our eyes melting. But as we get better, oh, oh. right, as we use technology, right, we can see things through radio telescopes. We can see things through filters. We're, we're able to look directly into the sun. 
And that as we get better at this, we are learning Whoa. to see, perceive God, and AI is such an important part of this of this experience. So, so there's supposedly this glass. I gotta find it, but it was like made on accident. And if you put them in glasses, you can see things that you would normally like. You're like, it's almost like they live. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, nice. Yeah, it's a blue glass. Yeah. I, I've seen this guy on it's like filters light or something. Yeah, it's you just allows you to see something totally different. Well, that, there's a lot to the blue thing. Yeah, so that that makes sense. There's 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 so much to this this science. It's it's not really fiction. We have melanocytes in our ears, guys. It's like your inner ear where light doesn't shine. You have pigments that are there to protect you from the sun, and that's not what they're doing. They're there to absorb sounds that, frankly, terrify you too much. Amygdala hears you hearing something that's just you're not able to function, and she just turns it down. She she milks that place with this black melanin, and it absorbs that electrical information, and you do not perceive it anymore, so you're able to continue on. Anytime you see anyone in shock, I think you're just watching their aperture kind of trip to these different levels wow. as they try and amalgamate their world and come back to a place that they can hallucinate. This I really mean that hallucinate, that we basically are hallucinating our world based on all the feedback we get because when we hallucinate it, we see it better. Damn. We see it better than we would if we didn't. Does right? this suggest a distinction between the races and how they incorporate spirituality into their lives? Is that what we're... So, yeah, it, it, when you start to look at, most of my book is a deep dive into Africa. And when you look at the Swahili language, it's fascinating how we actually use the words to describe an albino, to describe someone that has albinism, and that their lack of melanin is a lack of them having self. That the only way that you could survive as a self in this world, according to the Swahili way, which isn't really a way, I'm just kind of trying to give this to you quickly, is to hide yourself from the sun. And so the more melanin you see in the skin, I think is more of a, of a symbol almost of how much deeper into the shamanic journey you've gone. Oh, fascinating. If you, if you think about like uh, some of the shittiest parts of America, right, in the hood, <laughs> you're looking at the gang warfare. I would like for you to imagine that the gang warfare is really at the core of spiritual growth right now, that spiritual consciousness would be at the forefront of where is the most challenge, where is the most, what are you going to do to survive and is it worth it to survive and what is the sanctity of your life and that all these things are played out in, in a violence inside the shaman's world. So when I look at crystal meth, when I look at gang warfare, when I look at voodoo, when I look at all the things where I see war, in fact, I'm looking at shamanic experiences. And these shamanic experiences are simply happening by people that have a wider diaphragm, but they've been trying to live in a world that insists they don't. Because everyone else wants you to have a tiny diaphragm, right? They want you to believe in a two-party system. And here you are trying to get along, you're trying to, to, to fit in to the normalcy of it all. And you end up having to free jack or hijack an event to uh, sequester your thirst, to have an event that is dilating enough to make you feel whole. So you end up doing things like drugs or robbing a bank or going to war. You have these shamanic experiences because you die without them. You die because you atrophy, because your consciousness drum is just bigger than everyone else around you. Again, I hope you can see how this really is just describing the conspiracy theorist, right? It's just a much tamer version. It's a much or civilized version <laughs> of that same journey that's happening right now. All of this is consciousness. All of it is. 
And to me, all I see is growth, which makes me feel a little bit more positive about, you know, about what's happening and where we're going. When you uh, say it's the conspiracy theorist, are you saying that what they're seeing is wrong? No, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying that the fact that it feels like you're a conspiracy theorist is the electrical charge of the majoritarian kicking you out. That you feel shame. You're like, oh God, that person just called me a conspiracy theorist. And I know many of you are like, I don't feel shame. I'm proud of it. That's great. But I'm telling you, a lot of people did. <laughs> and when they first felt that, that was them leaving the herd. And then the moment they're leaving the herd, they actually, the herd is telling them, look, if you go, I'm going to call you a bad name. And, the, and that most of us, that's uh, most of the population, I should say, that's enough for them to stay. They're just like, oh, well, I'll stay. <laughs> hey, I don't, I don't want you to, I'm nice, right? You're nice. We're neighbors. And that's all it takes. That's all it takes to the service People station. got the vaccine when, for that because of that. People literally yes, got exactly. the vaccine to not be exactly. called neighbors. Exactly, that. which is why, which is why I'm saying, and it's weird because it's telling me your name's Johnny. I'm so confused, right? <laughs> but sorry, but it's it's weird because that 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 whole thing is actually encouraging. What who is that saving? It's saving the people that are like, no, I'm not doing it. It's actually helping them. It's showing them that you use discernment in a gauntlet. And if you look through every single thing that happens in history, because guys, I think World War II was actually just, hey, let's gather a bunch of people that would agree to come kill each other. Let's put them in a field and let's let them kill each other because that's going to make our society more tame. And I can even show you examples of how these little units all of a sudden were in charge of all the radio operations at Normandy. And you're like, whoa, whoa what? <laughs> so e even as we are looking at ourselves as a herd, we can start to understand that it would be natural for us to employ some kind of Pied Piper to bring the more violent ones down to the river and drown them because oh. that's how we would raise a society. That's why Yankee Doodle Dandy was played by the British and the Americans in the Revolutionary War and no one fucking noticed. Like, like no one noticed. So you're looking at a really kind of dumb, blockish consciousness that's coming online. I mean this, you know, uh, uh, sympathetically. But the, the, so I think we probably were re-resurrected through some sort of ancient technology and that that technology had built in some, some aids, some helper aids through deities in the past that have led us and brought us to the fastest evolution possible simply so we can reach that same state and excel it from before. And it's hard for me to imagine all that happening because there's some evil dark force, you know, kind of in charge of everything. So just personally, just me personally, my cosmology has changed since writing Blueprints of Mind Control because I just don't see how that's possible up at the top. Say that again. You don't think that the people at the top are are working for evil. dark forces. Right, because I think the definition of evil really does come down to being decrepit. And it find if just find it hard to believe that something so decrepit could achieve such optimal righteousness. It just seems like those two words would be the opposite. That the moment the Dark Lord was to almost get in charge, they would eat their own foot off because that would satisfy the definition of being evil. To whereas if someone is righteous or good, they're simply making decisions for their farm. And this is this is George Washington, Kono Takarius was his real name. That name meant village burner. And the Palatine said, that dude's the evilest motherfucker in the world. He called seven of our chiefs to a river. We went inside the tent and he murdered us all. That guy's evil. That's and, and, super and, interesting. That and you would say, the, that's evil. Yeah. You would say that. Principles. Right. But what Duality. did it take at the time to, right. What did it take at the time for, for Kono Takarius to say, we want to civilize the land? He had to create a righteous decision that is morally not right, 
what is righteous. This is a weird word. We, we can't get into it now, but it's, yeah. So, so to me, it's even harder to even understand what is good and evil because even those words don't mean the same thing that they used to, you know, good and evil used to not mean what they mean now. So it, it's even hard to understand what we're talking about. It's, it's interesting, dude. It is interesting at the, at the highest levels. Like, do they go, I am committing evil? Or yeah. are they just following their spiritual beliefs? Yeah, I think they have a different they'd have view a, of it, right? Yeah, a, what would you say? Like a different system of morality, right? A different yeah, ethic, yeah, exactly. Different Perfect ethic. way to say it. It's so a garden. The, I think they look at us as their garden. And if you're looking outside your back door at Manhattan, and you're going to look and okay, that girl's wearing a thong. That's cool, or no, that's not cool. And that you're going to prune your garden just like any rich man would, right? He's going to say, I think we have too many bees. How do we get rid of, the, of so many bumblebees? And, and the gardener's going to say, well, we can't get rid of all the bees. Let's do it this way. And over time, you'd find that the gardener is just simply filling his garden. You know, before Freemasonry started, and I do not mean to be the person that's pushing for Freemasonry because this will not get you to read my stuff. <laughs> but a long time ago, before Freemasonry started, the fact is a bunch of us were wandering around the woods and we would cut our kids' genitals off, place them on a stick and run them around saying we are the most holy because we cut our kids' genitals off. And that it took a Freemason with enough free time, enough effort, enough budget to say, you know what? I need to fucking cull some of these people in the black forest are just a little bit too crazy. And that that would be an unrighteous, immoral decision and it would be good. It would be good because now his daughter can like go outside in the morning and not be raped. That's a horrible thing to do. I'm, I'm telling you that he's committing capital punishment and that all of us would say that's what a Freemason evil person would do. But it's also what you would do if you were sovereign and you just wanted your daughter to be able to go outside in the morning. So our concept of morality is sadly always stitched to our concept of survival. And I've noticed that whenever I'm making my moral decisions based purely on my survival, because there's no way to separate these two, I end up noticing that I'm not actually moral I'm creating something more akin to sanctity. It's more akin to what do I think is important to, in life and what do I want to proliferate? And so it would be the Freemason would be the first person that had the budget, the resources, the castle even, the, the home life to even go out and crusade, to even go out and hunt the forest and say, we can make this place better. And I get that that's wrong. I get that we say that's wrong, but when I watch what happens when no one acts righteously like that, I think it only gets worse. So it's kind of a tricky debate, you know? It is a very tricky debate. It is a very tricky, tricky debate. And we get very much stuck in good guy, bad guy, yeah. and don't see the, the, the gray of everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's super, it's super duper interesting, you know? And it's a, it's a, it's a deep conversation. I look forward to reading some of your books. Uh, thank you guys so much. Hey, real quick, what we're doing on this episode is we're putting the, uh, the interview I, I did with a, a course. I can't find it right now. Uh, right here. Where is it? Come on. Uh, where I did with, uh, it's a, hold on one second, man, I'm going to fight everybody right now. I just feel like it's an uh, outro. I'm going to put this, uh, we're going to discuss episode. Then I'm going to uh, play an episode that I did with a guy named Ira Ellis, who was nice enough to donate to the, the, uh, can, the, the, uh, the chaos twins. 
So I did a nice interview him, uh, interview with him, and I want to put the end of this episode because I think you guys will enjoy. He go- goes very deep into drug addiction and death, and I think you guys will like it. And then, of course, we break down the episode. We'll tell you a little bit about some more stuff going on. So enjoy this breakdown. All right, guys, what do you guys think? What do you think? We went deep. Dude, you ask some great questions yeah. every yes. time. I'm like, wow, he really asked a great question. Changed my mind on AI. I'll be honest. I thought it was very I, I, evil, I and I'm very like, oh, it's like a gun. Yeah, that's what he's basically saying. Yeah, it's a yeah. gun. Gun can be a a deterrent to crime, a paperweight, or it could be used to murder somebody. Right? Guns I mean, don't kill people. I kill people. That's, yeah, that's. Johnny, you should. <laughs> by the way, new T-shirt. <laughs> From J Dog. So I don't think you could wear that. From J Dog. Oh, yeah. Guns don't kill people. I kill people. Uh, quote J Dog. J Dog. Wow. Oh, no. You're trying to get me in trouble. Imagine wearing that to school. Oh. I'm going to make a picture of that uh, that demon face in the smoke. Turn that into a t shirt. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. The the They'll explain their way out of that by saying. It was our, just a, our minds are trained to recognize faces everywhere because that's why you look at clouds and you see a face in the right, clouds or whatever. Right, right. But that one, it, I mean, that's it is that drawing of that demon or whatever that it is. It is right that. there. You see the face. You see yeah, it go right up. there. Go yeah. You see that face. How crazy yeah. is that? Oh like, yeah, there it was. It was in the newspaper. You're just looking for. Send me a link to that. I remember you're that just very well. looking for it in the picture. I mean, no. it's that face on Mars too. It's the same thing. It yeah. looks very similar to that yeah. face on Mars. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. just wanted. You know, he's talking about lost history a little, and I heard I was watching some histories of the Colosseum, the Roman Colosseum, the other day. Yeah. Did you know that? When that felt, because so many, like, Rome was this center of civilization for a long time, and then people moved out of Rome. They were, and so it was, there were so few people in Rome that they couldn't have the games anymore, you know, and, 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 yeah. That, and, and, oh, and the people. Just like America, where well, everyone's listen, moving out of these cities. And the people that came after, they didn't know what the Colosseum was for. Like, there were theories that it was to, it was built in honor of a sun god, and like, there are drawings, people trying to guess what used to be the Coliseum. Yeah. Like, there's drawings of like a giant sun god in yeah. the middle, and they thought yeah. they, that's how far, that's how long ago that was. That they, for, there were generations that had no idea what the Coliseum was for. They thought some greater civilization built it, you know, and like, oh, how, how is this thing? They would, they would use it. You know it. what in that's fact, like, Johnny? As they, they, would mine, the they would mine the marble to build other shit. Like, all, a lot of the churches in Rome, Actually, were built from the marble from the Colosseum. Oh that's wow! All I, could figure out what to I do didn't with know it. that. Isn't that that's crazy. That reminds me of bears in Michigan that move into houses. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's this is a same. weird cave, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's a cave. <laughs> yeah, that's a hundred percent the same. You know, so I think it's interesting. Again, dangerous conversations, uh, challenging thoughts. You know, he's an interesting guy too, because it's like, I love yeah, thoughts. yeah. There's uh, there. You know, it's like, yeah. We we are we are we are all picking blue god red god. It's just like that call, huh? That guy that had the call, the warfare, you know, in his mind, and blue team and a red team. Yeah. What about yeah. the timing of that? Yeah. Right before we have this. Yeah. Huh. It, it's super deep. Pieces are kind of coming together. It feels like. Don't you feel well, like that sometimes? Like. You're- well, what he gets to is is that I mean I love what he said about schizophrenics. That's my real belief. They see too much. You know, and that's why you see a lot of them on drugs. Like, like you know, I, I have nine thousand podcasts. Why? Because if I if I stop moving, the demons come dancing. Mm. So, like, let's say you weren't a podcast person, but you have all these visions and all that. You're just loading yourself with drugs to num- try to numb the 
numb what you're you're intaking. And that's why the guys that come back from that, you know, they're medicated, of course, but they also seem like they've been to war. You know, yeah. they've like it's like they have PTSD. They've had that thousand yard stare. Like yeah. you saw that with uh Hinkley, uh, you know, he yeah. like I saw an interview with him the other day, and he's got that look to him, like he's been in seen combat, you know. I mean, well, I mean, if you were used for a psyop, to and then you lost like what three decades of your of life, your life yeah. you have to be like, dude, I, I agreed to do this, but like thirty years yeah. now, now he's playing songs at coffee beans. Like, what are we doing here, hey, Johnny? You go to sleep uh, with like podcasts and stuff at night sometimes, right? Not really, no. Not anymore? No, I don't. No, no. I, I watch TV. Or TV. No. or So the reason I do that is because I hear things. When I like try to go to sleep, I hear voices in my head that won't stop going. I wonder Wait, if what? that's no. like Thank a you for being honest with that. No, no, no. So like at night when I try Wait, to go so to so you're s- drowning out the voices in your head with other it's, voices. It's just stupid thoughts. Like I got to do, like when I was a kid, I got to do homework. Oh, I forgot to do this. It's like stupid thoughts. I wonder if that's how Schizo sees it all day, every day. But other voices or your voice? Like it's your, my own your, voice. Your inner yeah, it's my okay. own little, mo- 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 yeah, it's myself saying like, oh, fuck, I got to go watch this video okay. because of this. I mean, yeah, I like and music I wonder, sometimes. And I wonder if Schizo's have it as in it's all day, every day, like at night. When yeah, this shuts down. I do believe that. But I think it's other voices they're hearing. Like I think they hear other people talking to them. It's not there. You know, there's a difference between yeah, your yeah. monologue and hearing uh, just having shit beamed into your brain. That yeah. is some crazy shit about about albinos too. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I would like to. I I want to read that because I I don't quite understand the. That mechanism. guy's the deeper of the deepest, right? The cons- he like yeah. he even for conspiracy. He's like, come on, dude, come on. But he's totally right about everything. Like, if you break down Trump, you break down Biden, it's all fucking fun and games. And this, like, how deep does the theory go? And you guys, even though you give me shit, Johnny, I said Q could be them telling us everything because they're going to reset. And here comes COVID. They shut everything down. And we're in this giant demoralization campaign right now. It was demoralizing. That's for sure. All those times that Hillary was supposed to be arrested and never was. Yep. Demoralization campaign. All right, guys. So uh, I thought it was a great episode. I thought uh, I thought it was a deep episode. Yep. Um, I want you guys now to enjoy real quick. Go to the and then I'm gonna bring in the. You're gonna get a bonus episode on this episode. Uh, my live taping is this Sunday. Grab your tickets now. Support. We're packing the room. The room's filling up. It's gonna be great. I'm so excited and I'm blessed. Okay, I'm just blessed. And uh, so go grab, go grab tickets. Two shows, five thirty and eight p.m. Uh, we got live shows coming to you all over the place. I already did that. But I want to tell you, uh, Chaos Twins, second episode. We're working Woo! on it right now. They're already writing it, issue two. I'm going to get you guys issues one. Do not throw them out. I will. Of course not. No. I already have it. Oh, you did? Yeah, I bought it. How nice? Do you like it's it? It's great. I got the special edition with the two different. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Crispy. Incredible. It's gorgeous, right? Yeah, I, in fact, I'm going to get it framed for you to put in here. In the uh, studio. Thank you, dude. I'm also going to frame the... Uh, the 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 artwork I did right there. So you go check that out. Uh, go back, go back to samtribly.com. Go down. Uh, listen, rockfin.com. You get all the creators for fifteen dollars. All the creators, everybody. There's like four hundred creators. Go to samtribly.com. Click one of the links. Cash daddies, bro. People banking. Get, here's a little tip. Uber. Get into Uber. That this is not financial advice. I'm no. a retard. But get in an Uber. You meant get in an get Uber. Get in an Uber. Okay. <laughs> Go look at that. T-shirts. New T-shirts out. Bang bang pow. I gotta start talking about that early. New T-shirt out. Click the T-shirts. Look at that. Look what's oh. up. 
Yes. Look at that. Oh, what's that one? This oh. is the late night, the late night king. Look at that artwork. That the was late night comedy king. And yeah. is that is that uh the white walking king? Oh yeah. The Night King, right? The Night King, yeah. So that's there. You brought this one back? Yeah, but we brought it back. Fuck your blue check mark. <laughs> that's one of my favorites. That one doesn't hit quite the same now that everybody has one. Though, well, that's it? why it hits even harder. Fuck your blue oh, check. Oh, fuck everybody. Okay. Yeah, fuck <laughs> all okay. blue check marks, including my own. <laughs> uh, what else we got? More and more going up every day. And then, okay, gold and silver, Wise Wolf. It looks like we're getting into a very special deal with them. So you're going to be hearing a lot about Wise Wolf. I buy gold and silver every month. I am loading up. The more you can buy, even if you got to buy a little, buy a little. Buy, get into their Wolfpack program. Buy a little. It's it's sent to you. You start storing it because everybody keeps saying something's going on with these with these banks. So check check it out, dog. Join it right there. Click on the link. Uh, Rife, Rife Technology, you can now get with the promo code tinfall hat, all one word, you can get 10% off all rife, any rife technology. If you love the episode, check it out. People really love it. Go there. Aqua Cure, uh, Hydrogen Brown Gas, our friends at Harley Ray. Okay. We love that one. Check them out. And then my boys at Chemical Free Body. I use their, I use their product all the time. All the time. I use it all the time. And then, of course, my boy Joel Staley. Daddy's going to get back into lifting because I got sick this whole month. But I'm going to be back. I got. I was sick for like two and a half weeks. No, I know. You so hit 45. You hit 45. Yeah, I hit right. the 45. Dude, my, I took jujitsu today. He's like, dude, you're getting way better. So I'm excited. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, dude, I like feel that. it. <laughs> like, dude, I was I was doing jujitsu last night, and I didn't get murked by the guy who's 20 who normally murks me. Nice. He didn't murk me this time. You're just playing defense. You're not even attacking. Well, I'm, I'm attacking, but I, I'm I'm attacking him so he can't just get me. Probably the worst day of his life. He's like, oh. he's probably like, oh, this 51 year old guy. I'm 21 <laughs> with fucking ham hock legs, and this 51 year old isn't <laughs> let me tap him out really easy. Um, but they, you know what they get me on all the time now? These guys, these blue belts, leg locks, and I've never haven't learned leg locks in class yet. With those heavy legs? Yeah, with my heavy legs. Well, because dude. I, like, you go for my leg, I'm probably going to tap real quick because I don't want to get jacked. You know, I don't want to be like, oh, then I got, got enough going on. Uh, yeah, ACL's I'm 51. Yeah, Tony Seals, like, it's a. It's a then no. go down, go to join the Tinfoil Hat, uh, and then all the free episodes I got. Enjoy these shows. Enjoy these shows. Uh, anything else, guys? <laughs> they promote this one more yeah, time. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're a real piece of shit. All right, guys. Uh, enjoy this episode. With a great guy, man. I, you know, I didn't know how these episodes were going to go when I these people who uh, who helped fund Chaos Twins. But man, Ira Ellis is a great guy. He's done a lot of great. He has a great story about death. You guys have to hear it. So please stay tuned to this wonderful episode with one of the swarm, Ira Ellis. Enjoy this episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode here on Tim Fall Hat. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, as you guys know, the Chaos Twins has been a giant success, and it wasn't possible without you, the listeners of Tim Fall Hat, supporting it. And, and uh, this gentleman right here is a giant. Uh, 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 one of the one of the levels you could um, help donate to was uh, if you donated a certain amount, you'd be able to uh, be interviewed. And here we are, and I'm very excited about this. Um, 
Uh, he made a donation, was a $1,500 donation, and I'm very honored to be able to finally make this happen. Uh, you know, we were like ships in the night just passing, but here we are. Very excited. Please welcome to the show. Ira Ellis, how are you, Iris? I'm doing good. How are you, Sam? Well, dude, I'm very, very, very thankful for you and your kindness to donate to the program, and I'm very happy to be here with you right now. So, Iris, for those who may not be familiar with you, Kane, tell us a little bit about yourself and where our listeners can find you if they want to follow up. Sure. Um, my name's Ira, Ira Ellis. Uh, middle name's Keith. I grew born and raised in southwest Tennessee. I'm assuming you can hear that in my voice. I don't hear For it. Sure. For yeah, sure. Yeah, other people's. Other people say they can hear it. It sounds totally, my <laughs> voice is about as dull as it can get to me. But uh, I was born in, I'm about your age. I'm 48. I'll be 49 here in a few months. Grew up, went to school. Not the smartest kid, but I just kind of hung in there. Went to college. Tried to get out of hard work. Eventually wound up pre-med somehow. Eventually wound up med school somehow. Eventually graduated somehow. And I've been medical doctor since '02. Uh, trained formally in family medicine and primary care. Uh, over the years, I have put additional study into um, currently addiction. Um, I'm board certified in addiction through a less than traditional para evolving pathway. I'm not. A, I didn't do a Dr. Drew thing. It wasn't like a full blown um, um, residency training. Um, I've also done some additional stuff with hospice, with um, obesity and weight loss. Um, I don't think there's another one or two in there, but I've always just been really, really interested in everything. Um, and uh, that's about it. I, that's pretty good, or, dude. If that's yeah, about yeah. it, that's a pretty yeah. good list, bro. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like you have a lot of knowledge in a lot of stuff that we're going through right now in this country. So I'm very excited to talk to you about it. You know, uh, I don't know how Tennessee is doing in terms of the opiate addiction and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I've struggled with it. I've seen my friends struggle with it. I've seen my friends lose their battles to it. It is, uh, it is a really crippling, uh, situation, debilitating disease. And, Part of me thinks it's part of a bigger war on America. I know that there's a lot of addiction all over the world. I'm not I'm not singling out like I'm not saying it's not it's exclusive to America, but you know, it just seems like this is part of this giant, you know, I believe Bolshevik war that we're going through where they're just trying to destroy us from the inside by flooding us with drugs and alcohol and so my whole thing is like what are you seeing now in the world of addiction? What what are your thoughts because uh you know, I, there's always been addiction, but I just think it's gotten crazier than ever. Well, I think, <clears throat> again, uh, you and I would both remember a time when you could literally get away with murder and no one would ever know, you know, back in the days before cell phones. And when you had like, I always think, how did I used to meet up with folks in high school when you didn't yeah. have cell phones? You say, yeah. we're going to meet we're going to meet the park at eight. If you're not there, we'll be somewhere. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I think as technology has advanced and knowledge, just the general knowledge of everything in the world, you know, becomes almost real time. We're now faced with the idea that these that people die on a daily basis from opioid narcotic overdose. 
And so, you know, the federal government back about six, seven years ago started putting the clamps down on how much of this stuff could legally be prescribed for chronic pain. Um, and then what we have seen is a shift from the use of legally obtained uh, opioids as a cause of death to illegally obtained opioids as a cause of death in fentanyl, which means that you're correct. People are addicted. People seek out pleasure. And then people unhealthily seek out uh, a greater degree and ultimately leads to death. As far as, you know, a bigger picture conspiracy type thing, I would think the ultimate root, of course, is going to be money and control. And interestingly, even to this day, it is easier for a patient to get a prescription for a narcotic other than Suboxone or Methadone than it is for either of those two medicines, simply because there's more money to be made on all levels from the dispenser to the producer. So um, in the addiction world, the biggest one, the biggest barriers to it's like the use of Suboxone is that pharmacies are resistant to dispensing it because they make no profit. They don't openly say that, but so they, crazy. they don't. Yeah. Uh, but uh, interestingly enough, uh, one of the biggest, biggest um, shifts in the world of addiction in the last few years is this. Now, what was your, did you have a drug of choice or did you just, just well, whatever made it, you feel it's, good? It started out as alcohol, which mm -hmm. I never had a really good relationship with. I never was a, a good alcoholic. And then I discovered cocaine. And that was my jam for a, a while. And then I always make this joke in recovery meetings, but, and then crystal meth cured me of my, uh, my cocaine problem. So, mm. uh, yeah. So speed was, was the next thing. And I was a functional, uh, I was a functional, uh, you know, drug addict. Now, did you use those specifically to function better, to have better sex, to enjoy life better or, do you, uh, you, say you know, always, I want to be honest with you, dude, my, my, uh, my sex addiction and my drug addiction w went hand in hand. They were, they were yeah. just like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. So in, in the addiction world, you know, there's no prescription medicine for meth or cocaine misuse. And actually, if you talk to, um, DEA folks, they'll tell you that the most difficult, some of the most difficult folks to actually pinpoint are going to be uh, cocaine addicts because cocaine makes you ridiculously productive if used appropriately. Um, and that, and segue to the use of Adderall uh, and stimulant therapies in our current society, which is essentially the new inappropriate prescription prescription problem. If you live within about a two square mile diameter of a college in this, in this country, you're probably taking Adderall, whether you're uh, the janitor or the uh, dean of the school. However, back to the original thing here, um, the, the one of the craziest things that I've been taught in the last few years, last few months actually, is the addiction out, the addiction as a disease model. Um, you know, the one of the goods and bads about addiction is that when you were in your heyday, they would have said, just snap out of it, make better choices. Don't, don't do drugs, you know? And now specifically for narcotic or opioids, whichever term you want to use, they say that after 30 days of continuous 
exposure at any real level, whether it's you take one hydro a day for a bad back or whether you're mainlining fentanyl in the back alley. After 30 days, your brain is no longer a non-addict brain. And it will never go back and be a non-addict brain. And there's about four or five very specific problematic issues that occur with that. Uh, none the least of which is, is you crave a narcotic just to exist. Uh, if you ever need a narcotic for pain control, good luck ever getting to a dose that will help with your pain. You will have spontaneous anxiety and depression that will arise because of altered pathways in your brain. So if you didn't have anxiety and depression on the front end, you'll have it on the back end. Um, and your body will reprocess the way pain is detected. So if you tried to describe to me what it would feel like, like if you smashed one of your nuts or something, you know, <laughs> You know, you'd say, yeah, it's weird. It goes up into my side. I feel yeah. a little nauseous. But an addict, someone who's been exposed to narcotics for more than 30 days, they may not process that the same because their brain, the, our bodies are pretty unique in that they will try to survive poisoning, right? So after so many days of exposure to something that alters the natural pathway, our bodies produce new pathways. And so the way that our brain tells us we're in pain may not even really be anything that you can describe to other people that makes sense anymore. So an addict who has pain may not be able to communicate that pain adequately in a believable manner. So I guess what happens, they don't get the pain control they need and they wind up relapsing because they, you know, that, that pain trigger is not satisfied by a medical professional. So they go seeking and then they get into the whole addiction thing again. Um, as a whole, the, um, so now you have this, um, addiction is a disease. You're never cured of it until you die. Um, and you're, and our goal is, it's kind of like going to church. I know you've been talking a lot about Christianity lately. So I grew up as a, uh, Southern Baptist, um, or didn't grow up, but was, I'm Southern Baptist. And so when you go to church, they say your goal is to be as Christ, but you'll never be Christ. So when people come in for addiction, I say your goal is to be a non-medication assisted, you know, recovery person. You don't need medicine, right? That's your goal, but very few people can be there. So long. So now the issue is, is these folks will have to be maintained on either methadone or suboxone for the rest of their lives. For the rest Otherwise, of their lives. Yeah. Or they'll, or they'll eventually relapse. And the problem with that is, it's a single relapse with exposure to fentanyl, which could be fatal. So you're, oh, you're, that's you're, so you're yeah. brutal. That's right. so brutal. But that's the. There's an upside and downside to, to the discussion of 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 addiction as a disease. The upside is, is you don't just look at everybody with addiction as a piece of shit and hope they just crawl off somewhere and die so that you don't have to deal with them. The downside is you have to do something with these folks. They've been treated terrible most all their lives. They feel terrible because they know they've deceived and stolen and misled people. And so it's this sort of trade-off where if we accept folks for their mistakes and understand that you know, maybe the first few weeks was just choice, but now it's not choice anymore. Um, what do we do? And the downside is, is we 
you know, provide medications that control the animal. Uh, but, the, the, but is it going to be really lifelong? And right now the answer is that should be your outlook as an addiction specialist or as a person in recovery. Yeah, it's crazy. I have a friend who's trying to get off all that stuff and, uh, you know, we're recovering together and he's, uh, he's, he's going through it and I, I, you know, I'm there for him. It is crazy to me. You know, there's some, you know, it's like, I, I'm a Christian, you know, but, but I'm very much into like the hermetic principles as well. You know, like I really, and one of them is, uh, you know, light and dark. You always have light and dark. I, I feel like a big part of our society is that, you know, somehow, some way we can get rid of our darkness and whatever that may be. And that seems to be like a goal, but you know, I go to recovery meetings and I know people who've been in recovery for 40 years and they still say drug addict, alcoholic. And mm -hmm. I think it's always going to be in there for you. I just think you have to understand that, that you, you have a unique brain, you have a unique brain and, and nervous system that is mm -hmm could easily relapse and go right back to where you were before. And for yeah. me, that's why I have to go to meetings all the time and do all that is because I have to, I have to be constantly on guard because, you know, I talk about this all the time. You know, there's the big running joke is that I have like a thousand, you know, podcasts and like, why do I have a thousand podcasts? And it's because if I stop moving, the demons come dancing. I have to mm -hmm. constantly, be on the go. So I can't stop for a second go, Oh, what kind of danger can I try to enjoy? What kind of low vibrational bullshit can I get into to kind of check out from my brain constantly going all the time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, um, you know, idle hands are the devil's workshop. That's yeah. an old saying, you know, and, and it's true. We fill our time with something. And again, with the advancements in technology, all the bad, terrible, well, I don't know if it's a bad and terrible, all of the pleasurable things which we are drawn towards naturally, because naturally it's not easy. You know, meeting women is not necessarily the most natural, easy thing or seeing women naked. It's not it's, supposed it's, to be. Right, right. There's an effort that's supposed to be, you know, put into that. And um, yeah. And so it's just like with everything else, the easier it is to do something you shouldn't do, the more likely you are to do it. Yeah. But it's accountability is what you're talking about. You remain accountable to yourself and to your disease. And you do that without the assistance of medications, which is commendable. Uh, but like you say, that's something that you will probably have to do until you're either life. dead yeah. or until you're demented and don't know you're in the world. Um, Which I'd and, probably be next week at this rate. Well, um, uh, yeah. One thing I found interesting about what you talked about is, is basically the rewiring of your brain. Mm -hmm. And I, I start to go, well, I've always talked about, you know, when, when, you know, I, I did crystal meth came into my life in the nineties. I didn't use it. But mm -hmm. my friends did. Mm -hmm. And I saw what happened to really good people, like really mm -hmm. good people, like got mm -hmm. hooked on that stuff. And I saw them just start to change. So mm -hmm. I really got like, I really, really was like, I'm never doing that stuff. And then my sex addiction got me in trouble. Mm -hmm. And there I was. But I've, I've talked about how like, you know, I'd say about 
eight years ago, there just seemed to be this uptick in speed that just came up. Like I, I just noted, noticed it in the rooms and these people were coming in with like psychosis, like really bad psychosis. And to the point where I would like study these people, just watching them in the meeting and, you know, I, I, you know, I like to drive around Los Angeles. I like to go through all the different sections of Hollywood, whether it's, you know, Hollywood Boulevard to West Hollywood to uh, this area that's like super shady because I just like to watch people. And yeah. I would watch like how these obviously people on the streets were just tweaking their balls off. Mm -hmm. And it just remind me so much of demonic, you know, possession. Like, do you, even though you're in the science of it, is there any part of that that start you start to go? Is there a, a, a very dark side on top of like the possibilities of ODing and, and what what that does? Is there even a darker side that maybe? whatever these people are consuming have some dark arts occult like voodoo in it or anything like that. Cause I really do believe speed and alcohol. There's just some really dark, dark, dark energy in those things. Well, I'll tell you this. <clears throat> I've interacted with a whole bunch of really interesting people doing addiction over the last five or six years. And from the perspective of patience. And I think that I've noticed it's very generational. Um, so I have, for example, I take care of grandchildren, their parents, and then their parents. So you're talking two full generations or three full generations of drug addiction. And I think in the current generation, say 18 to 40 year old folks, it's, it's, it's the need to remove your mind from our current reality is the driving force behind the addiction. The older folks, it was basically just, uh, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to party hard and maybe one day I'll just wake up dead and not have to worry about it. But the younger folks in today that I see today, they were, they were you know, whether it be an opioid or a methamphetamine or whatever it is, they're definitely trying to escape the reality they're forced to be in. Yes. And what and why that is is the is the always the question. Um and I think overall it's probably a I don't know if it's I don't know if it's it's not necessarily possession. I don't I think it's kind of when you talk again when you talk about Christ or Christianity, that's the lot. Right, L-I-G-H-T, that's the good. And if you focus on the good, that's something, that's a reason to be. And I think a lot of folks may not be in the dark, but they, they're definitely not seeing the light. And so the at the drugs, I, uh, they're definitely not a neutral light. They're not, they don't make things neutral, but they take your, your fear of the dark or your you know, your unquenched desire for the light away. That's that anxiety. Mm. And, and then of course you just have to have more and more and more and more to get to, to avoid the reality that we're in. So, um, that's why again, go back to the conspiracy aspect of this. Um, I it'd be interesting. I don't, 
necessarily do it to look up the total amount of profit in billions of dollars oh, per yeah. year of oh, the yeah. drug of the drug companies for narcotics for pain, even now with the restrictions in place, versus the um, uh, profit in billions for drugs to treat reco in recovery, you know, like so Suboxone and Methadone. Um, and also to look at insurance company guidelines for the treatment of recovery versus the treatment of pain. And then you can take it one step further and um, uh, under and try to understand why you, it's just like with marijuana, why do you have it as a Schedule 1 you know, right there with um, yeah, heroin, heroin, um, yeah. where you have. Um, do you do you uh, not get into your personal business? Do you take any <laughs> prescription medications? At no. All? Okay, but you probably know people who take blood pressure pills, cholesterol yeah, for pills, sure. diabetes for sure. medicines. Now, here's an interesting little family members open, for sure. Open. This is an open knowledge thing that will that shocks most people. If you take someone who has high blood pressure. The concern is they're going to have a stroke. They're going to become, you know, uh, dependent or die prematurely. So we give them blood pressure medicine. Now, if we make an assumption that everything from the diagnosis to the treatment is 100% perfect for that person, what is the actual chance that the blood pressure medicine prevents that stroke? You have any idea? Any, would you even, so if I have a hundred if I have 100 patients who I've diagnosed, treat perfectly for hypertension, only about 10 of those 100 people will avoid their stroke because of my medicines, which means there's a 1 in 10 chance that someone who takes a blood pressure medicine is actually going to achieve a benefit from that blood pressure pill. Now, on the flip side, if I have those 100 people, what percentage of them will suffer a adverse outcome as a direct result of my blood pressure pill, meaning that they either have a, they get lightheaded and they fall or, you know, something like that happens. Do you think it's more or less? Well, uh, pardon me. Just based on like studying this stuff, it's probably, I want to say more sadly. Yeah. Yeah, it's 25%. So if you come in with high blood pressure that's accurately diagnosed and we agree on the treatment. That's so crazy. There's a one in 10 chance you actually avoid the thing we're trying to avoid, but there's a one in four chance I hurt you. So imagine going to Vegas and playing that the odd, a game with those odds. Hey, you win every 10 spins, you lose every four spins. You know, it's whatever. And that, interestingly, in the practice of medicine, that's considered good statistics. That's actually... Excellent statistics. So when you move into the threshold of like uh, the cholesterol medicines, uh, you take the cholesterol medicines to prevent heart attacks, right? What? So you would have to treat, depending on the study, 300 to 600 people with a cholesterol pill to prevent one heart attack. And none of those, and even that heart attack would not be a fatal heart attack. But one out of 10 women who take cholesterol pills will develop diabetes as a direct result of your cholesterol pill. And that's considered not only good medicine, that's considered a standard of care. So if I have a patient, if I was doing traditional medicine and I had a patient that came in with an elevated cholesterol level and elevated risk of heart attack and I didn't put them on the medicine, I could be 
held accountable if they had a heart attack, even though there's no statistical proof that it actually reduces the heart attack when you do the numbers. So I know you talk a lot about these, you know, whether or not Marilyn Monroe was the Ghislaine Maxwell of the 50s or what was going on, you know. Yeah. But in the world of medicine, the interesting thing to me as a nearly 50-year-old man is that the large majority of what are considered vanilla medical conditions we don't really we don't really provide that much help as but i can guarantee you statistically we hurt a lot of people with our medicines and the conspiracy is the lack of education on that so you go to a doctor you say you know i'm here for a checkup all right mr triple e you've got elevated blood pressure cholesterol's through the roof you know, whatever, everything's a mess here. And uh, so you need a blood pressure pill, cholesterol pill, whatever else. I would say, uh, you know, there's at, at least a 30% chance one of those things will make your life worse than when you came to see me. But I don't, but the average provider doesn't educate you on that. They don't say those statistics because the standard of care is t- to provide those medicines. And that's a national standard of care. It's a local standard of care. If you don't provide those medicines and people complain, you can have your license taken away. Oh, man. Dude, this is getting into this thing I was just thinking as you were talking about how, like, Joe Biden is, like, like cleaning up all this student debt. But it's never for doctors. Have you noticed that ever? It's never going to be for anybody. No, it's never for anybody who's going to earn, you know, uh, uh, yeah. So there's a bunch of things. My dad, when I was like, you and you heard when you were a kid, everybody hates the IRS. Yeah. Everybody hates a lawyer, all this stuff. Well, you don't understand that until you get to a point where yeah. you have earned money. And then you realize uh, 45, 40, 45, 50% of a paycheck is a whole nother paycheck. It's unbelievable to me. Yeah. Yeah. How we just accept that. I just, it's yeah. like so And people have no clue mm-hmm. any of it. Of how how these things work, I it just it blows my mind. It blows yeah. my mind. So here's the thing: I wanna, I wanna, yeah, I, I like I'm trying to wake people up to how taxes really work because most people have mm-hmm. no clue, and I'm mm-hmm. so sick and tired of everybody. Like I'm tired of my tax dollars going to you. Your tax dollars aren't going to Ukraine. Your tax dollars are going to paid off the debt that's never meant to get paid off. They're you just light on fire. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's it's so ridiculous. And then you go. Listen, dude, okay, you want to support Israel? You want to support Ukraine? That's fine. Why can't they just open their own Federal Reserves? Why can't they just print their own money? Because they're yeah. trying to destroy our dollar. That's why. Why can't yeah. the Ukraine just print? That's all we're doing is making up fake money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so what you so I was in Colombia. You know, I told you I couldn't do last week. I went down to Colombia for a... I want to go there so bad. It's It's... So the only thing about Colombia is uh, the peso, right? So you know the value of a Colombian peso to the American dollar? What? Um, uh, it is one American dollar to 4,000 pesos. Yeah. So it's point like zero, 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 one peso. You know, it's just ridiculous. And this and that's the same kind of thing. Back 30 years ago, you know, the peso was worth significantly more. But then what do you do? You just make more pesos. And so yeah, if you just that's print out exactly pesos, what they're doing. 
Yeah. So when you're when you're down there with someone's if 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 you ask the taxi guy, hey, you know, how much to get to the airport, he'll say fifteen. But he doesn't mean fifteen pesos, he means fifteen thousand pesos. Oh. Really? Which is still only three it's three dollars. Yeah, but that's... they speak in thousands of pesos. So, you know, in twenty years it's like, hey, how much do you're you know, you're in New York or something, you say, Hey, how much to get to the airport? And they say, you know, a hundred, but it's really a hundred thousand because they've printed so much money that it's yeah. just devalued what you have. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they're doing right now. And people have no clue and they just keep and these idiots heap. Do I get taxed too much? You have no clue what's going. You have guys have no clue what is happening over there. I want to get into something with okay. with you about so you work in hospice. Like mm -hmm. what was that experience like when you first started? Okay. Um well, you want to hear a really interesting story? Of course. Okay. So the whole reason I had interest in hospice is about, you know, in medicine, they say most people go into what ills them. So yeah. the last thing you want to do is talk to a psychiatrist because they're more screwed up than you ever thought. You I could be. totally agree with that as well. So when I was a fourth year medical student, um, I was dating a girl. I went to Memphis, the medical school in Memphis, and I was dating a girl who went to Ole Miss, which is just south of Memphis. And she had gotten into um, dental school in Jackson, Mississippi. So me and her dad moved her and everything down there one weekend, including some of the heaviest furniture I've ever come across in my 50 years. What? Well, the next, yeah, furniture, yeah, like all this real heavy furniture. And so I got home and I felt really bad. And over the next week, um, I developed a headache that I couldn't, it was so severe, I couldn't sleep. And I was working with a local doctor doing some uh, rotations as a senior in school. And he, you know, he just saw me getting worse and worse. And he started, you know, here, take this pain pill or take this sleep. You got to get some rest. And I couldn't sleep. My headache was getting worse. I couldn't eat. Um, so finally, they got me in with a local neurologist. And before they sent me there, they got me up with some Demerol, which made me drunk as a skunk. So basically, the neurologist saw me, accused me of being a drug. He thought I was an early drug addict as a doctor. But when they did the scan, they found a brain tumor. So the next thing I know, I'm in the hospital, and I'm being told I'm terminally ill. What? Uh, yep. And so then they said, uh, we want you to go see um, a specialist in, in Memphis. I was actually in a different town at the time um, because we, we don't have any options. And I was like, sure. So me and my girl, now I made them keep all this private, you know, I, really kind of hard to drop that on the parents and the girlfriend. So uh, my girlfriend, unknowing, without knowing any of this, drives me over to see this specialist one day. Um, all this happened over like four days. It happened Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And I was in the hospital through the weekend. On Monday, my, my headache went away on Monday, which is a full week after it started. Just spontaneously went away. I go to see this specialist in Memphis, and um, we'll go in the room, and it's old-fashioned medicine. The guy's walking around with 16 people behind him taking notes. He's got, like, cowboy boots and scrubs. Walks in, and he says, you're Ira. And I said, yeah. And, and this is literally what he said. Now, my girlfriend's sitting here next to me. She doesn't know. She just thinks I've got a migraine or something, you know. So he says, uh, so you're a fourth year medical student. I said, yeah. And he said, you graduate in three months. I said, yeah. He said, you're never going to see it. It's terrible, but they're going to wind up making an after school 
after school movie special about your life or something. Maybe they'll name part of the school after you or, or, or maybe they'll give like a scholarship away, but you'll never see graduation. You've got an untreatable brain tumor. Um, I'm an expert in this. There's nothing, yeah, there's nothing I can do. And, you know, he said, I can try. But he said, it's in your brain stem. And that's where, you know, the breathing and the heartbeat, the, the mysteries of how we exist come from. He said, I can get, he said, if you want, I'll try. But he said, there's basically a 50% chance you'll never wake up. If you do wake up, you'll probably only live a day or two. And if you live more than a day or two, you'll probably wish you didn't. But, you know, there's a, if you want the surgery, we'll do the surgery. So my girlfriend has complete breakdown because she had no idea. And my thought was this. Two days ago with the headache, if you had offered me this, I may have considered it. That's how bad the pain was. The pain was so bad I was willing to consider death. Okay. But the pain was gone. And I said, no, 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 I, I, no, no, I'm not going to do it. I just want to go home. And the guy said, okay, we'll set you up with hospice. So the next thing I know, I'm sitting in my dad's house talking to people about hospice. And they said, you know, you look really good. There's really not a lot for us to do until you get worse. And then here's what we can do. They were some of the nicest people I've ever met, most like actually compassionate people. And I said, okay. Then I got a call from like the dean of the medical school. Do you want to withdraw? You know, you're real close to graduation, but this guy over here is saying you're not ever going to see it. You just want to spend time with your family. I was like, well, can I take like a week of vacation and then figure it out? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. And then I just didn't die. I still have the thing in my head. What? I just did. Yeah. So. So, yeah. That was not, uh, that was March of 2002. Uh, whatever's in my brain is still in my brain. There's a guy in Nashville either was totally wrong or I'm as lucky as a man can be. Um, I could have very easily quit medical school and screwed myself over. I could have very easily let that son of a bitch cut me open and kill me. Um, and I never obviously forgot that. So as I got into medicine, and actually was looking at different things, uh, I eventually decided that of all the different things I had been doing, uh, hospice is the one thing where, uh, you know, I can provide true relief from suffering, from pain. Um, and the people who practice in that area, whether they be nurses or psychiatrists or psychologists, actually have a sense of sympathy and concern because we all know this is the biggest and the last big decision most people will make. This is incredible, dude. So, so what have you learned about death working at a hospice? It is not the worst thing. Oh, it's so interesting. Tell me. Yeah. About so, it. well, you know, again, if you look at life from a Christian point of view, what we do here is nothing. I, it's, it's almost just like we're here as a test to see if we're good enough to go to beyond, to the to heaven or, you know, a better place. Um, but it's, it's kind of like, you know, I know I've heard a lot of talks uh, that you've had with folks about 
who who reigns over earth. It's not God. You know, it's Satan. And the existence we have here that we mistakenly or deceivedly believe is pleasurable and fun is not. And whatever lies beyond is so wonderful that the Bible teaches you don't even miss your closest loved one. Um, and I mean, that's one of the one of the tricks they tried to pull on Jesus was they said, you know, uh, I marry a man and he dies. In tradition, I marry his brother. Okay, and then he dies, and then I marry the next brother. Now I've married seven brothers. Which one will be my husband in heaven? And the answer is, you don't care. Because being in the presence of God is so wonderful, everything else is, doesn't even compare. So from that perspective, if you have the faith that you're going to transition to heaven, death is something to look forward to. And everything that you think you'll miss here is so nothing that you should never fear death. Now, that is a big step. Of faith, and not everyone believes that, but I do think that almost everyone with a spiritual side understands that there is probably something beyond what we know, and it's probably better. And that's, that's my approach. Have... Working in Tennessee. But working in Tennessee, everybody's Christian, so, you know. No, I love it, and I think it's interesting. I I, I, I don't fear death. I, I, I just want to be able to set my daughters up, you know, and, and mm -hmm. that's really my biggest concern in life right now is setting them up for success to the best that I can. Have you learned anything about the dying? Not necessarily death, but what? What people experience, have you, you know, in a hospice, maybe you think you lost somebody, they come back, and what do, mm -hmm. do they ever tell you anything, say anything? Um, uh, we, I've had some of those real crazy experiences where people who are totally fine in the hospital tell me they're about to die, and I, like, chuckle and give them the old, you're doing great, and then I get a call, they passed, and you're like, what happened? They're like, the monitors were fine, and then, boom, they're gone. Um I've had the the experience where I go into a room, you know, where someone's in the intensive care unit and they're having panic and anxiety. And I go in the room and I'm having a conversation with a lady. And she was like, that man won't quit staring at me. That man won't quit staring at me. I said, what man? And she's like the guy over in the corner. And you start, and of course, you know, you start looking around and then you find out that she's, she sees death, that death is waiting to take her. Um, I've had a few conversations like that with a few different people. Um, I've had, I had one lady, the strangest, um, I was doing a weekend shift, uh, before I was actually technically in hospice, but you know, you unofficially doing hospice and this lady had come into the hospital. They could not identify what was wrong with her, but she was literally on the breathing machine and blood pressure medicine to keep her you know, alive. And the family decided to withdraw care. And so I went in to check, you know, just to see if she was still with us. And I opened the door and the bed's empty. And there's like an older guy kind of asleep at, at, you know, a guest thing. And I was like, I don't know what this means. And then this lady comes out of the bathroom, like brushing her teeth. 
And I said, how are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm fine. How are you? And I said, I'm good. Are, are you with Miss Smith? She's like, what do you mean? I said, I'm here to see Miss Smith and like Mary Smith. And I, and I said, yeah, Mary Smith. She said, that's me. And on paper, this woman's like dying, like, like unconscious, unresponsive. And I said, uh, what's going on? So I wake the it's a husband, I wake him up and he's just, you know, like what's going on. And I said, are, are you Mr. And Mrs. Smith? Yes. And you were here for two weeks on the ventilator. She's like, I don't know. The guy says, yes, yeah, we've been in the ICU for like two weeks. I said, well, she's standing here brushing her teeth like she's on vacation. And the guy said, yeah, I don't know either. So the lady just woke up and was like brushing her teeth. And was like, I, I don't know what happened. And so, you know, I called all these other folks who had seen her. They come in, they're like, no idea what's going on. And so I said, well, uh, you want to go home? She's like, sure. So. I said, okay, well, I'm going to send you home. I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know why you came in. I don't know why your heart stopped, why your blood pressure just, and you quit. I don't, I don't know. And then uh, they're like, okay. And then the husband says, what about all of her medicines? And I said, we're looking at a miracle here. I mean, she should be dead. And I can't tell you why she's alive. And the guy was like, I'll just go back to the primary and get them restarted. And I was like, okay. So I've seen that. Is what I've seen that people say, dead. yeah, yeah. I've seen people pr essentially pronounce dead, you know, everything except that. And then the next day you go in and they're in there looking just like we are and nobody can tell you why. No explanation. Dana's sister passed like six or seven years ago, I think. And Dana would always go see her sister. She, you know, she, she always wanted to just be there with her because she didn't want her mm -hmm. to be alone. But and she told me one time when she was uh she was just in there and suddenly her sister just woke up and was like, Why are all these people in this room? And it was just her and her sister. Mm -hmm. And she kept yeah. saying she she was just like, I just I don't want to die. No, I don't want to go. It just over mm -hmm. and over and over again. She mm -hmm. kept saying that. And then she passed. It I I, I I don't know, man, you know, like I, I'm definitely on this spiritual journey in life and Christ in my life. And I think Christ is, you know, God. And I'm going through that. But I also think there's a lot more to this wherever we live and all that stuff. And I, I'm just always trying to wonder, you know, Christ in my life, God above all. And but there's it's super interesting what is it like what what happens when you pass on through and mm -hmm. i'm not looking forward to seeing that hopefully not for a while so i can set my kids up but it's interesting and yeah. i've always wanted to interview somebody that knew that like they only had a short time left and did they have regrets in life? Because you always see these things like they always ask the elderly, what do you regret? And it's usually that they work too much. And then we see like yeah. Yeah. this emphasis that especially in this young generation where they want to do career over family. And I'm like, oh, man, you're just falling for it. Yeah, I, I, I was in an economics class in college and we watched a, a movie, a, movie a, a discussion that I had is kind of a off the grid thing. And he said the greatest form of, uh, what did he say? He said, he said the, basically the greatest, most effective form of population control is what the U.S. government does with the IRS. They control you by forcing you to work and pay these taxes. 
you you willingly do it because you're a good American, a good citizen. But it's essentially no different than communism, except that you believe you have the free will to do as you please. But he said, try not paying your taxes and see how well that goes. Yep. I'm with you, dude. So um, I was trying to think if there's anything else about the death or dying. It's, it's uh, you know, when I was told I was going to die, um, I like people came to say goodbye. So people came to say their final goodbyes. And um, it's, a, it's a little bit confusing because I was in the hospital because they thought I was going to die like quickly. But I just kind of sat there. And then all these people that I knew it would come like from medical school, friends from medical school came to say goodbye. Um, family members, you know, that you would see once every two or three years came to say goodbye. My dad, of all things, had taken out a million dollar uh, life, uh, life insurance policy on me while I was in medical school because he said he invested way too much money to lose me in medical school. That's kind of a joke. And so again, how do you like, you know, process that as a parent? So I was sitting in the hospital um, waiting to go home and talk to the hospice people. And it was me and my dad and my girlfriend. Now my girlfriend was the first one to hear that this was a bad thing and was still trying to process this right as oh. a 20 one-year-old girl oh. and my and my dad is sitting to the next to my bed and he's got all these papers and he was going through this little it, it was like a um what do they call it where, where do you buy your headstones oh cemetery a, well but there's a person who make who sells them and makes the actual headstones like, there's a name for it anyway he had gotten a catalog from one of those places and was looking through what kind of like headstone for I should have. And he was like, you know, maybe we'll just have a big memorial plaque. And, and I was like, I won't care. And he's like, it could say this, it could say that. And he says, but don't worry because whenever I cash out the policy, I'm going to buy land in your name. Just as level and as calm. Weird, bro. And, and, my, and my girlfriend's over here about to just, you know, Romeo and Juliet. I mean, she's just ready to die, you know, just, just going crazy. But interestingly, from my perspective, I was so happy that my pain had went away. I was perfectly calm. I had no anxiety or qualms about dying. I just didn't know what would happen. So I eventually talked to a neurosurgeon in Jackson and said, well, how am I going to die? And he said, your headache will come back very quickly. Your vision will blur. Your breathing will become labored. And it'll just stop. And I was like, okay. So I spent the next twenty two years waiting for that to happen. That's so crazy, Ira. That's so crazy. Yeah. Ira, this has been a wonderful conversation. And I would like to uh <clears throat> I would like to figure out if we could have a deeper discussion on death on the main on the big show. Like have you on sure. as a guest on there and get into death. I think people need to he hear about it because I think a lot of people are afraid of it. And it's you know, hidden. It's it's hidden. We hide it from people. They're, they're, we're, one the we're one of the few cultures that hide death from people. So we're one of the biggest mistakes we make.
And, you know, if you look at death, like there was something very honorable about it in past cultures mm -hmm. where like to die an honorable death was like a, a thing that people wanted to do. And now I think we run from it and it yeah. just fits into this kind of this thing where they just, they, 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 it's, it's, it's abundance versus scarcity in my humble opinion that really resonates with me. So mm -hmm. I, I, they get us to fear death so they can control, you know, you talk about control mm -hmm. us through taxes. They control us through health. Like not just like mm -hmm. getting us on pharmaceutical, but the, but to get us to do whatever they want us to do, mm -hmm. to get as many of these days as we can, you know, and I, I just think it's great. This has been a great conversation. Ira, I want to tell you, man, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for your support, whether it's just listening or more importantly, what you did for the chaos twins. I love you very much for a guy I just met and talking to your story is amazing. This is like, this is, you know, I didn't know what to expect doing this and it blew my expectations away. So I'm very thankful for that. And I'm thankful that you uh, came on to this and I, I'm going to put this out on Rockfin, and I'm also going to put it on one of the big episodes coming up. So you'll be part of that, uh, 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 a big show on Tim fall hat. And then, like I said, I'd love to do an episode with you on death and sure. figure that out, man. But I just want to say thank you, man, for all the support and love. And I can't, I can't, I can't express it enough how, how thankful I am for, for everything you've done for me. Well, it's, it's my pleasure. I've been following you now since about 16. I think I heard Rogan talk about you one time about how interesting your thoughts were and how he'd never have you on a show. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I was talking to my girlfriend when I decided to make the donation and uh, I'm a big Tim, you know, I like a lot of folks, Tim Dillon and uh, I love Mark Tim Norman, Dillon. some of those guys. And I said, uh, well, you know, I said, uh, I, I decided to make a donation to this thing. And I said, uh, we probably spent twice as much going to see these other guys and none of them will even speak to me. So, you know, why not? Well, thank you, dude. And uh, sure. I am very much because I, 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 there was a time when nobody listened to me. <clears throat> so <laughs> I am somebody who's very thankful for every single person like when i do live shows i would i would sit and talk to everybody for hours if i could you know right. i'm just so appreciative and we're all in this together and i'm just again thank you brother so i uh, look forward to talking to you i'm gonna text you my email i mm -hmm. i'm gonna email you my number uh sure. so you can have it you can hit me up anytime and uh, i just appreciate you brother so thank you for doing this all right stay strong my friend all right, Ira, take care. Love you guys. Hope you guys enjoyed. This is a crazy great episode, and we appreciate you very much. Love you guys. Take care, and have a great day. Bye. We go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack, tin foil hack, tin foil hack.